And welcome to The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast covering everything that you need to know about the latest and greatest from Fantasy Flight Games, Genesis Foundry, and the Genesis Roleplay Game. I'm your host, GM Hooley, and we have a great show for you tonight um, to cover a whole heap of topics, uh, including an interview with fan favourite Sterling Hershey about his adventure slash mini campaign power play. Um, but first, hailing from the wilds of Texas, a place where tornadoes are real and a very dangerous thing, and he mocks me in my country about how deadly things are. Okay, so we have fire tornadoes. But anyway, um, it's GM Chris. How are you, Chris? I'm good. I'm good. And, and yeah, your country. Your 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 country is still stupid. Dan. You have <laughs> you have you have venomous mammals. <laughs> yes, we do. Or, uh, or, I mean, you, you have a, you have a venomous mammal in your country. We do. Yeah, that that trumps tornadoes, bub. <laughs> <laughs> like the platypus is a wonderful, wonderful thing, but um, yes, he's got this deadly little barb that'll kill you. But anyway, well, it may not kill you, but it's certainly nasty. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> all good, very good. So, are you ready for tonight's show, Chris? I'm amped. I'm really looking forward to this discussion, um, continuing our, our look at archetype creation. Mm. Um, and I'm really excited to talk to, talk to Sterling Hershey again, uh, because power play is such an awesome, you know, I don't want to call it an adventure. It's not accurate. Mini campaign, really, when you get down to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, man, I'm I'm. I'm thrilled. And we've had a lot of interesting stuff uh, being posted up, a lot of great listener interactions. You had an interesting thing in relation to our last episode's discussion with Katrina Ostrander um, uh, and, and design uh, that you posted up on, on our Facebook page that I thought was absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Look, one of the things that, that really sort of, um, sort of hit a high point for me when talking to Katrina was talking about the audience uh, and the products that people are producing for uh, for the foundry um, that you know uh, your audience isn't always just your average everyday Joe. Uh, there are obviously people who are out there with special needs uh, that um, you know whether it be you know um, sight impaired or people with dyslexia, which is something which is really really important for me because my son Ethan uh, he has dyslexia as well, so that's sort of knowing that there are um, methodologies out there that you can supplement into your documents to uh, to help with that. Uh, and there were uh, f- there were seven graphics that uh, that I managed to find online that uh, we've posted up on our Facebook, uh, as well as I'll be getting that up on Twitter as well. And it's a fascinating read. It's specifically it, it's more to do with uh, with website design. Uh, but there are certainly some some elements in there that uh, the people can take away uh, and maybe implement uh, when they're doing their uh, their documents for uh, for Foundry as well. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing that I found out, um, which I didn't know, and it's something for anybody who is doing their own podcasting, 
um, is that YouTube, because we, we automatically go over to YouTube with our podcast, uh, is that you can do closed captioning. Now, obviously, there's a lot of people that uh, are hearing impaired, and I was only thinking about this the other day, that people who are hearing impaired can't necessarily listen to the podcast or any podcast, and how would that happen? And so I did a little bit of research, and yeah, YouTube has got closed captioning in there, um, and it's just a matter of going in and um, into the YouTube studio and activating it. So uh, because we do three-and-a-half-hour podcasts, it's going to be a little bit of work, but um, you know, every spare minute I've got, um, which I don't really have much time at all, but I will try to basically get in there and, uh, and try to uh, edit it, because it's not 100% perfect. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's an amazing tool. So if anybody uh, does their own YouTube or does their own podcast that goes across, something to consider as well for people who are hearing impaired, uh, which, again, talks about the audience. So, uh, so yeah, very, very important. It's, it's a really cool resource. That's awesome. Mm. So good good to know. Good yeah, to know. Absolutely. Well, speaking of cool resources, Huli, mm. should we – Maybe talk about what's new on the Foundry. I think that it would be a really good idea um, and to take a look at some new and interesting products. Uh, so it's time for Stoking the Fire. Stoking the Fire. And welcome to Stoking the Fire, a segment dedicated to letting you know all there is to know about the releases from the Genesis Foundry and the Genesis Roleplay game. But first, Chris, would you like to tell us about the D20 Radio Podcast of the Week? Oh, boy, would I. Um, okay, Gamer Nation, if you like tall tales, fun, actual play, and a veritable plethora of discussion about role-playing in general, then the Story Told RPG podcast is the podcast for you. Uh, it covers a range of systems and settings. Um, <clears throat> the Story Told is, is unique compared with more specific system-focused shows. And in their latest episode, uh, guest host Stephen Pope returns to review Monster of the Week. Uh, it's a great game. Uh, it, it's a game about mon- monster hunters that uses the Powered by the Apocalypse game engine. Um, it's a really good episode. And if you listen to shows like The Adventure Zone, which mm. I know Uli does, yes. <laughs> um, where they actually play a Monster of the Week campaign, uh, this is surely a podcast for you. Um, there are heaps of fantastic discussions and a load of fun to boot. And you guys can find this show and a lot of great, more amazing gaming and geekery podcasts right now at www.d20radio.com. Absolutely. All right, so let's open up the Foundry Vault and take a look at what's inside. Now, first up, it's Ready Fights Micro Supplement Number 1, Lucas Hankiao. Uh, from Keith Kappel. Keith's wildly successful unarmed combat supplement, Ready Fight, is something that we reviewed with him on our very first episode. And this micro supplement is the first official add-on for that product, and it's fantastic, to say the least. <laughs> the micro supplement includes the full details for the NPC adversary, Lucas Hankiao, a Mutai kickboxer with vicious striking power. It, uh, it has an in-depth NPC write-up that provides story hooks, motivations, and advice to work Lucas into your campaign and bring him to life at the table. It also gives us brand new talents, uh, including Withering Body Shot, uh, and also a new piece of equipment, the traditional Muay Boran Wraps. So, uh, yeah, take a, take a look at that product. It's, uh, it's only a buck. Um, and uh, Keith's got some, uh, you know, fresh art in there, which is really cool. Again, it's, it's up to Keith's regular uh, amazing standards. Uh, and it's got some great content in there. So, uh, yeah, take a look. I, I love the way that 
that Keith and I know that uh, Chris Hunt has also done his supplements as well, uh, where they list each of their motivations as well, which is really, really handy. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, give that a look definitely. And as I said, it's only a buck. I got the I got to call the call out the the brilliance of the Moy Boron wraps. I don't want to get into the details of them because mm. folks can buy the supplement and read. But <laughs> I love the concept, and I want to see more of it of armor that doesn't actually give you any armor. Yes. Like uh, like the Moy Boron wraps, they're 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 fist wraps. They don't give you they don't give you any soak bump. They don't give you any defense, mm. but they do give you several additional combative benefits for wearing them. But they still count as armor. You can only wear one you know piece of armor. Yep. So yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely love it. It's good mm. stuff. It's good stuff. Very cool. And what else, Chris? Well, okay. Next up, we had another new adventure for Realms of Terranoth. Mm. About time. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, uh, not familiar with this company and author, so I'm, I'm intrigued to take a look at it. Uh, Slaves to Fate uh, by Jason Duff and er- uh, of Earl of Fife Games. Mm-hmm. Um, it was what appears to be a modular adventure for Terranoth, or, or quite frankly, any other dark fantasy campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, meant as a prelude for a for a winter apocalypse campaign. I'm not I'm not familiar with winter apocalypse. If that's maybe another adventure seed mm-hmm. they published, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it says it can also be used as a one shot if desired. Um, it is. It's a twenty pages uh, long. Uh, includes a modular adventure that can again can be set in Terranoth or any other dark fantasy setting. Mm-hmm. Um, a brand new species is also included in it, the doppelganger, which has ten subspecies for mm. it. Got to take a look at that. Yep. Um, six new monsters uh, and new mechanics for both corruption and apparently starvation. Mm. Um, and I can tell you just from r- briefly glancing through it, uh, some absolutely beautiful original fantasy artwork yeah um it looks very interesting and what's also interesting is the price which is only 2.99 yeah definitely yeah the artwork is amazing it's really good that the people are obviously you know spending a little bit of money because they've kind of seen how how things are going in the foundry uh and uh, and investing a little bit in it and as uh, as we pointed out in one of our previous episodes as well there is a lot of free art out there you've just got to make sure that uh, you are searching in the right places um, and that you are giving credit uh, where it's actually required. Uh, plus, mm-hmm. there's obviously a lot of art that is available on DriveThruRPG as well, uh, which yeah. is fairly cheap um, and it's really quite good. So uh, if that suits your setting, uh, definitely look at using that as well. Absolutely. All right. And lastly, we have a new release from Studio 404 Games, uh, The Setting Notebook which is very exciting. Uh, This invaluable tool guides any aspiring setting creator to include all the design elements they need to begin their journey to success with their next campaign. Now, expanding on the information uh, contained in the Genesis Core Rulebook setting sheet, this form fillable, I repeat, form fillable, which is so cool. Uh, And it provides a place to take down notes on every detail that you can possibly dream up for your next epic saga of a campaign. Now, contained in the book also is a heap of advice on what to consider when brainstorming with your gaming group, Um, and it certainly goes about encouraging players and GM creativity in a very, very positive way, as is come to expected from Studio 404 Games. Yeah. Now, uh, the book itself contains a checklist of all published Genesis skills and talents, uh, a table for creating new archetypes, which totals uh, the XP, which is so cool, 
uh, and maybe Chris, we should have used that for uh, uh, for this this episode for um, doing what we're about to do. But we'll get onto that shortly. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly for future episodes, we'll be using that as well. Uh, and it also has space to create new skills, talents, and even equipment. Now, aside from the artwork, which is so cool, very very retro, I love it. Uh, <laughs> okay. I cannot recommend this product enough. Based purely on that form fillability, if that's a word, um, and the auto calculations that uh, the forms does, which is um, amazing. And um, yeah, thanks guys for that. Uh, so um, race out guys and get it. It's fantastic. Uh, the team at Studio 404 uh, have outdone themselves as far as I'm concerned with this product. And I really hope they continue with this series of tools for players and GMs to make their games uh, that much easier to uh, to manage and enjoy. And it's only $2.95, which is less than a cup of coffee. So go and get it right now. Yeah. All right. So you can find those products and many more great Genesis Foundry content over at drivethroughrpg.com by simply searching using the words Genesis Foundry. And of course, uh, it is a new month. So a quick reminder to all you listeners to email FFG for a request on the Foundry Spotlight. Uh, um, FFG announced uh, in the previous month uh, a new article series called The Foundry Spotlight, which will focus on one piece of Foundry content nominated by you, the readers. Now, we know that um, the figures have been tallied and that FFG are now furiously working on their first article. However, there are many more opportunities to help promote your product or those products that you've uh, you've loved by such names as John Dunn, Sterling Hershey, Chris Hunt, Keith Kappel, Darren West, and Scott Somot, all of whom have been on the show and do have content which is readily available. Yeah. And guys, as we've, as we've mentioned, this is a great opportunity for all the authors to help sell their products and for you to encourage them to keep producing products. So be sure to send an email to Foundry Spotlight at fantasyflightgames.com and tell them what Foundry product you want them to spotlight. Then all you have to do is um, put the name of the product you want to vote for in the email subject line and include a brief one to two sentence reason why you want FFG to review that particular product and again shameless self-promotion time i would love it if you guys who are fans of my familiar setting uh sent in a request for it absolutely yeah look as i said uh, previously it's a great setting um and hey look in the not too distant future we'll be placing chris himself in the hot seat to talk about his setting in breaking the mold so look forward to that (laughs) as well wow all right. Speaking of segments, Uli, I have a hankering for some rules discussions. What say you, sir? Um, it sounds like it's time for some die casting. Die casting. So the Forge podcast is all about bringing new creations to the table, and the Genesis RPG provides us all with a powerful set of tools to do so, specifically through skills and talents. The diecasting segment is about closely examining individual skills and talents and how they relate to the creations you craft. Last episode, we dove headlong into the One with Nature talent, where we explored the lessons we can learn from taking elements from other talents to create new ones. But tonight, we're going to discuss a skill that we discussed briefly in the last episode when talking strain recovery, a skill that is rarely used in this system and one that has many uses in any setting if you get creative. Yep. And this skill we're speaking of is discipline. 
Now, this skill uh, gets a lot of love in Star Wars due to its um, strong connection to Force-related abilities. Uh, but other than strain recovery, uh, as Chris mentioned, um, it's uh, it doesn't get a lot of love, uh, which in my humble opinion is a, a very common mistake. So let's talk about the basics. What actually is discipline? Mm. Well, uh, discipline, the skill, is obviously governed by the willpower characteristic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it's full right. It can be found on the core rule book, page 60. Yep. Um, and basically, discipline is your character's ability to focus their mind, to quiet their thoughts. It represents them maintaining self-mastery and focus, specifically. Uh, your character also uses discipline to overcome fear or terror um, or to stay calm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition, discipline represents your character's mental fortitude to resist threats or coercion or to disobey orders. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's, it's uh, also recommended the skill be used in every setting, you know, whereas some skills say, you know, only for very specific setting types. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you can use this in every setting possible. Absolutely. Now, it also gives uh, some examples of what it can be used for and, and what it's not to use for. Now, we're not going to go through all of those because, you know, if you've got the core rulebook and if you don't, please go out and get it and then come back and listen to us. We'll wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, basically what it is is uh, the things that it shouldn't be used for, things like you've got to try to keep your composure in a social setting. And we'll expand a little bit more in relation to what discipline can be used for in social yeah. settings in a tick. Um, but, you know, if you were trying to keep it all together, such as if you're gambling, for example, a cool check might be more appropriate. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, if you're trying to discern somebody's lies, that would normally be an imposed check using vigilance rather than discipline. But let's look for a tick about who gets discipline. Uh, yeah. Now, there's quite a number of, of careers that we see in the core rulebook, uh, Realms of Terranoth, as well as uh, Shadow of the Beanstalk. Um, you know, there's entertainer, healer, leader, tradesperson, hacker, knight, priest, starship captain, and wizards. Um, yes. So there's a whole heap of them that get it in the core rulebook. The, the, those tend to fall into some very specific categories, though, mm. which we'll we'll come to. Yeah, absolutely. And then in Realms of Terranoth, um, you've got the Disciple, the Mage, and the Primalist. I think that mm-hmm. you can read probably something out of that. Um, and Shadow of the Beanstalk, it's the Academic and the Bounty Hunter, which was mm-hmm. something that I found a little bit odd, was that the Bounty Hunter had it. But we'll get on to that, I'm sure. I don't find that odd at all. Uh, okay, well, okay, explain, because it, it threw me a little bit. So why do you sure. think that the bounty hunter got uh, discipline instead? Because of the first two most common uses for discipline in the rules as written in the raw. Ah. Um, uh, and, and, and honestly, and, and we'll get to this, but, but uh, you know, discipline is... It's it's like the mental version of resilience, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, m- meaning that it's a very defensive skill. Yeah. Um, and honestly, what you will find most often outside of a couple of things like strain recovery that will come to, mm. um, is that a high pool in discipline isn't great because you're rolling a lot of discipline checks. It's great because that pool sets the difficulty for an opposed check that's targeting you, mm. and you know specifically per the raw coercion and leadership both target discipline as an opposed check. Uh, and those are two things that a bounty hunter will often have to uh, 
sort of sort of compete against coercion definitely and even leadership that classic bounty hunter ability to buck orders um, <laughs> uh, is, is is very important so so for that uh, yeah it made total sense for the bounty hunter for me mm. um, and, then, and then the second most important aspect per raw for using discipline is actually an active check which is of course to recover strain at the end of the encounter yep absolutely Okay, so we know how it should be used according to Raw or what the definition of of discipline is. We know who gets it. But according to Raw, how is discipline normally used? So let's look at firstly, um, as you've said, Chris, so we've got recovering strain. That is probably the thing that it gets used the most of uh, unless you've got some of those fantastic talents that uh, we (laughs) dove into in the last episode um, as well as obviously one with nature as well Um, you were using it in fear checks so anytime that you're forced to make a fear check uh, normally it's going to be dependent on how fearful something is or it may be opposed by coercion um, that that's what you'd be using in um, you'd be using discipline for um, it's also what, uh, and you touched base on this before, Chris, was, um, when you're targeted with your coercion or a leadership social skill check. So if somebody is telling you what to do, or if somebody's, um, trying to intimidate you, obviously how well you're going to do that is going to be about your mental discipline. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's uh, obviously where discipline comes into play. Mm-hmm. Honestly, in, in a lot of my games, uh, another, you know, how you use discipline in the rules is written that, that you know, another another method that's commonly rolled up by my players, um, not as much strain recovery, but fairly often is, of course, fear checks, um, which if you're if you're using fear checks properly um, is a majorly important thing. Um, and, and, you know, that's where, where discipline can really come into play regularly. Mm. Yeah. Additionally, I think it's also worth noting um, there are some species abilities mm. that that kind of are kind of resolved using a discipline checks to control them uh specifically um i know there's i know there's the mongrel mm-hmm. uh which you know, they, they use a discipline check to actually control their change yep. um ability yep. um and i think there's another species I, I think it's in one of the core settings isn't it yep that's right so it's um, the psionic which ah. is from the uh, the twilight imperium um, section in their setting um, and it has three separate abilities uh, which um, uses discipline to power them so they've kind of I, I guess use a little bit of what they've learned from uh, force related powers um, mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. those specific abilities work against uh, discipline versus discipline discipline versus vigilance uh, and discipline versus resilience as well so um, so yeah that's uh, again it's talking about that that mental discipline to be able to achieve something. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, very cool. I, there. Think, I think that actually highlights a huge difference between discipline and cool mm. because they're both, they're both used very heavily as defensive skills mm-hmm. and setting those opposed checks. But you talk about earlier for, with the exception of coercion and leadership, you know, cool is the skill that's used to oppose other social skill checks. Mm. Um, uh, or at least most of them. Um, and, you know, cool is about an innate ability to to shrug off stress or stressful situations. Mm-hmm. It's about just being totally cool. Discipline is mental fortitude yeah. in, in, in a practiced and regimented way. Mm. Um, 
which which also explains very heavily why it, it relates to those archetype abilities that we just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, you've also got to look at uh, what the attribute that each of those skills is traditionally linked to. So discipline mm-hmm. is willpower. Um, yes. But cool, it's presence. Yes. So, you know, you, you've really got to look at, as far as the definition goes, what is it about that? And, and look at the definition of presence and how it's used. Um, to give you an idea whether you should be using either of those two things. Because there are some instances, um, an example that I was thinking about um, earlier today was if you're standing in the middle of a uh, a courtyard uh, standing at attention. Um, if there was something and the, the speech went on for hours and hours and hours and you're part of a military organization – would it be cool? Would it be discipline? I would suggest that, you know, <laughs> to avoid falling over, which I've seen many people do in, in, in the past, um, is that it would be more of a discipline because it, it's not, I mean, unless if you're, uh, you know, if you were doing it as a skill challenge or something like that, why you'd be doing it for this sort of thing, I'm not quite sure, but there may be a very good reason. But, uh, you know, if, uh, if you were out in the hot sun, then maybe it might be resilience check. But um, it may also be just a case of a discipline to stay focused um, because, yeah, it it is something that requires a certain level of concentration just to stand out there and it's still in the one spot. So, um, yeah. And, and to fully stay focused, yeah. Yeah. But you know, it, it's one of those things. This goes back to that root of what discipline is. It is a a defensive or protective skill for your mind mm. and that is also heavily reflected in a handful of talents that we can actually find in the system as well yep. mm. um that uh kind of break the tr- traditional mold for the skills they use and target discipline as the opposed skill so you've got like uh counter offer um, uh, which is mm. a tier two talent uh, and this is just from the core rule book uh, can't we talk about this? Which uh, is a tier four talent and ruinous repartee, uh, oh, which, is, ruinous repartee. which is great <laughs> uh, for a tier five talent. Uh, and uh, you know the the counter offer is negotiation versus discipline. Uh, the yeah. can't we talk about this is charm uh, and deception versus discipline, and ruinous repartee is charm versus charm or coercion. Versus discipline. Yeah. And, t- and typically in the normal usage of those skills, like charm, deception, negotiation, they all are opposed by cool. Yeah. Um, except negotiation can also be opposed by negotiation. But yeah. so it, it's interesting to see when you when you talk about these more heavy handed uses of those typically cool opposed skills in the form of those talents, they're mm. not opposed by cool in terms of the use of the talent. Mm. They're opposed by discipline. Yeah. So. Absolutely. It's very interesting, yes. Something that um, which sort of, you know, I, I didn't realize until I started to do a little bit more research into it, but Curses uses mm-hmm. uh, discipline to uh, to resist it. So, yep. you know, it's uh, that certainly if magic is playing a, a big part, discipline can be a very, very important skill to have. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it goes back to that resistance skill that it is. But yeah, Curse Magic... Uh, is is used yeah against discipline absolutely and the other thing that it can also be used for as well which um is easy to skip past is the fire discipline action uh when it comes to additional vehicle actions discipline is one of the skills that you can use to gain uh, an advantage in in vehicle combat when it comes to fire discipline so yeah yeah and that's and fire discipline is a very 
uh, excellent action that's often overlooked. Uh, so and something I know we're going to talk about eventually. But yep. yeah, it's 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 very cool. Yep. So holy, we we talked about all these raw uses. Uh, the rules is written uses for discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of varied kind of things. Can we can we summarize these? into just a few key takeaway points to remember for discipline, you know, just a handful of key things to remember about this skill and why it's important. Absolutely. Well, I think that um, really just there's three points. So it's the main non-social social skill for, you know, <laughs> okay. <where laughs> as you said, it, it's a defensive social skill for, for coercion and leadership. Um, and it's used during negotiations to, to perhaps get the read off other people as well. So yeah. it's uh, it's kind of handy. So even though that it's not a social skill as such, in inverted commas, um, it is something that, that does get a lot of use or can get a lot of use uh, in social encounters. Strain recovery is, uh, is probably the main one that sees the most use as we keep on repeating. Uh, but it is something that, to keep in mind. It, it's just one of two skills normally, unless you've got those extra talents, uh, to let you recover strain after an encounter. And the last one is that it is the mental resilience, as you said before. Um, so, you know, if we can think of what we can use resilience skill for, um, you know, such as, you know, it, it can be used in many of the same circumstances as uh, as resilience, um, as long as they apply to the mind or, or the spirit of the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a great way to think about it. Mm. So, okay, Hooli, mm-hmm. I'm certain that we can suggest for our intelligent and wonderful and beautiful listeners, uh, <laughs> maybe some some non-standard or non-rules-as-written uses for discipline that are still very thematic and uh, might fit within the, uh, the rules as intended. Mm. Well, look, one of the things that I think that it could be used for, um, it's, a, it's a fantastic secondary skill um, for magic reskins. Uh, and we'll talk about this in a, in a later episode. But magic is a system which is just open to be used for other things. I know that uh, at the moment yeah. I'm working on a superheroes game um, or for the Foundry, and one of those uh, one of the things that I've decided to use is magic for powers. So it seems the most logical sense to use those sort of additional abilities rather than just a you know point shoot type thing that there are other things that can be put into play that are going to represent superheroes better. So that's mm-hmm. something. And, and, you know, the core rulebook also mentions that as well as we discussed earlier with the psionic, that it's, it's using discipline to power some of those abilities to provide it with certain effects. Yeah. For, for, for my money, when it comes to reskinning magic into other things, mm. that, it, it, as, you, as you said, though, it, it's, it's about that secondary skill. Because when you get into the additional actions tables for the various spell types that are out there, mm-hmm. th- a lot of those additional actions rely on a secondary skill in terms of, of the ranks. Yes. You know, mm. like you get X benefit equal to, you know, for X number of rounds equal to your knowledge skills, what mm. it'll say for magic. And knowledge tends to be the secondary skill that's keyed off of for magic. Mm. But for a lot of appropriate thematic reskins, um, you know, and psionics is a great example, you know, discipline makes perfect sense as a skill to replace knowledge for that secondary skill that drives a lot of the additional action abilities in those tables. Yeah, true. Very, very true. 
Now, when it comes to, um, you know, the the mind challenge, I guess, when it comes to, you know, psychic versus psychic, Professor X versus whoever, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that well, mental dude, combat. Even, sorry, even, even, even magical combat. Yeah, true. Like, like the, the mind challenge. I think of, have you ever seen Conan the Destroyer? I have. <laughs> okay. All right, and and that the, dude. So my favorite character in Conan, the Conan movies, mm. is is the guy the guy Mako played uh, Akiro, the wizard. Yes, yes, yes. And, and there's that scene, like in the first or second act of the film, where they're in that cave, and Akiro has the the, the mind battle with the other wizard, <laughs> you know, and they're just staring at each other and just grunting. <laughs> And and you you know and it was it was it was cool it was a really cool film scene because you know you're like you have no idea what's going on in their minds but they clearly do and it's clearly affecting them right <laughs> um, so yeah dude having this discipline versus discipline to do kind of this m- the the mind challenge you know whether it's that or you know Professor X versus you know Psionic Threat of the Week number seven. Um, <laughs> Look, another way that it could be used in a similar sort of vein uh, when it comes to to mental combat as well is particular traps or particular magical effects that, you know, you might have to control to allow something to happen. So the thing which comes to mind for me would be some sort of a magical trap that uh, can be controlled using discipline, for example, mm-hmm. that uh, that must be held at bay to allow the characters, the other party members, to escape. Things like that. So again, it's a it's a mental discipline thing to uh, you know to to hold that thing at bay. Dude, one of the one of the more creative uses I've ever seen in a in an adventure for discipline um, was a game I actually saw being run at Gamer Nation Con, mm-hmm. and it was a fantasy game. Um, and the adventuring party was in a situation where th- they were having a big fight uh, with, I think they were with a bunch of goblins, mm-hmm. but they were in the bowels of a dungeon that was created by this ancient wizard. And he had created this huge golem, this giant metal behemoth of a golem that was in the middle of the room where this fight was taking place. Mm-hmm. And literally somebody could concentrate their willpower at the golem and control it you know for for and and you know it would take an action to 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 make a discipline check mm. and if they succeeded at a, at a certain base difficulty they could actually then immediately the golem would get a free maneuver and an action that the pc dictated right Right. Um, and then as as the goblin chieftain came into play, it became this contest of discipline between the two to control the golem. <laughs> it was a really, really cool and, and unique encounter and, and a wonderful uh, way to utilize discipline for something a little non-standard. And, 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 and that's the thing. Anyone could have done it. Like and, and different party members were doing it at different points. The golem didn't care. You know, at one point the the meat shield was even turning and like, you know, trying to focus all its thoughts and energy towards it to make it move. And yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> Look, one other thing, just very quickly, that that I think could be useful um, is that I'm just casting mine back to because I'm I've been going through um, Star Trek Next Generation. I've been binge watching that because you know I watched it ages ago. Uh, and uh, just because Ethan has never ever watched Star Trek before, and uh, there was an episode that um, uh, that had Data in it, and he had challenged this master uh, computer games geek, for want of a better term, um, to this 
uh, this challenge of Stratagema, I think it was Stratagema, yes. Um, and uh, as soon as he sort of, it was basically over in, in all of about 30 seconds, and he decided to change things up a, a little bit. And I think that there there's something there that if you wanted to change your tactics a little bit, that decided that, you know, a discipline may be a better option rather than sort of um, a knowledge skill to uh, of a particular game or particular law or whatever it is that, that is part of your system of, uh, you know, using discipline to try to best that because it's it's using willpower, it's using a, like their wisdom of it to hold them at bay to keep them in uh, like a stalemate fashion. Uh, and that's where he sort of lost it and said, right, well, I'm out because Data had only decided that rather than try to beat him, he was just going to keep this stalemate going. So maybe discipline can be used in, in uh, as an opposed check that way um, to change you know, your strategy up a little you bit. You have made a mockery of me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I re- yeah, I remember that episode. Yeah. A little too well, <laughs> apparently. Um, and that, 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 that dude with the with the crazy like triple jowls on each cheek, yeah. Um, looks like he got hit, but got hit with the face melting ray. Oh dear! Um, he was also the the same actor side issue altogether. He was the same actor that was in Total Recall that um, said to yeah, uh, Tony, yeah. <laughs> yeah. "Yeah, you're going to be lobotomized." But anyway, you'll be lobotomized. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's off topic. Okay, so, so speaking of speaking of total recall and lobotomization, yes. Um, <laughs> another another non-standard or non-raw use for discipline is actually overcoming physical fatigue or trauma in certain circumstances. Mm. Uh, again, it's very much you know uh, non-rules is written, but it, it kind of represents that whole idea of discipline being used to accomplish those feats of mind over matter. Mm. Um, where, you know, and we talked about resilience, uh, you know, a, uh, a few episodes back and, you know, we talked about how you can use resilience to overcome things like forced marches or sleep deprivation, mm. you know, nausea. Those are all things that I, I would, I think I could successfully convince my GM, maybe with a little bit harder check, mm. you know, that I, I think I could, I could tackle that with my discipline. You know what I mean? That mm. I'm, I'm, I'm mentally strong enough to overcome these things and and do kind of a mind over matter situation. Mm. You can even do uh, when it comes to like going through a forest where it's not necessarily you know hard work to go through. It's just mentally taxing to go. Oh my god, there's another tree. You know to uh, and even I guess to a certain extent, if you're in the desert as well and you you're well prepared for desert travel. But the fact that it's just ongoing and it's just never-ending sand dunes, that maybe it might be a little bit more about uh, the uh, discipline, as you say, is a harder check. Um, also handy when it comes to skill challenges as well, if you're running skill challenges where you can't use the same, same skill twice, uh, that, uh, you know, if, if you're really strapped for a way that you – or what sort of skill that you can use – Discipline may be one of those ones that uh, that might come into play as well in that sort of circumstance. And it could be a primary depending on the challenge yeah, and for, for some unusual and unexpected things. You know, you talk about, you know, that idea of the like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to get through this <laughs> mentally? Can you imagine you know, it's like the, the, the party has to gather information at a noble's ball? Mm. 
<laughs> and and they have to put up with and they don't want to appear rude and they don't want to get kicked out because they need to be there but they have to put up with droning conversation <laughs> of like oh my god it's like i need a discipline check yeah totally valid totally valid i'm just uh, automatically thinking that uh, you know maybe they have to um go and speak to a professor who was giving lectures at the university and they need to talk to him about uh, this occult book that they've discovered and uh, they have to sit through because he's obviously has to run his uh, his lesson and so they have to sit through at the at the back of the class waiting for him to uh, uh, to be able to be spoken to and they have to uh, as part of a you know a pre-social skill to see how he reacts to them uh, and whether mm-hmm. he's willing to help that they have to try to stay awake so they each have to make a discipline check to <laughs> to stay awake during the long droll of a conversation that he's having because he speaks everything in monotones. <laughs> so he keeps talking in one long unbroken <laughs> sentence, and it's really quite hypnotic. What movie is that from? <laughs> that's that's Next Generation, man. Oh, is it? <laughs> Yeah, you just haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> right. In the same sort of lines, uh, I guess, as well, is when you're talking about, again, going back to skill challenges, because I love using skill challenges in my games, is that mm-hmm. if, you're, if you've got, if you know that you have to uh, go through countless books searching for stuff, the first point of call is obviously going to be a knowledge check. But that's not necessarily always going to be the case. If you've got characters and they know what they're looking for, that they've got the, the smarts to, to know, and you just want to make it a little bit challenging for them, you can look at discipline which is, you know, intense study. So they've maybe it's just the one book and they have to go through this one book to try to find that one sentence. You know, it's like going through an RPG book sometimes when, <laughs> when you're looking for a specific rule because they haven't done their layout properly. Listen to the last episode. Uh, that, that, you know, maybe they need to make a discipline check rather than the knowledge or even resilience um, because it's it's that whole discipline of mental fortitude right. to be able to go through those uh, those countless books searching for this thing. So um, yeah. yeah, great suggestion. Well, the, okay, this, so this has been a really good talk. You know, I feel like discipline is a little underutilized. Mm. I think with a little creativity, I think players can suggest uses for it a lot more readily. And I think GMs out there should be searching for ways to use it more and be more accepting of it. Because the idea of a skill for mental fortitude is pretty holistic and honestly pretty standard for just about any setting you can imagine. Yeah, uh, yeah so definitely go in and look for ways. Um, you know, write down in your little GM book about different ways that you can be using discipline in your games because there are. It's not just about those three things that we've mentioned. It it can be for a host of things. Just look outside the box a little bit. So yeah, yeah. But good discussions. Mm. Well, listen. Gamer Nation, if you guys have any particular skills or talents that you would like us to discuss uh, on the diecasting segment, let us know. Uh, mm. Head to social media and tell us, and we'll tell you how to do that later in the episode. Or, of course, email us, ForgeGenesis at d20radio.com. Indeed. So, Huli, I think it's time that we move along, pump the bellows, and heat things up as we open up the furnace. All right. The Furnace. And welcome to The Furnace, the segment where we take a deep dive into a topic 
concerning custom creations using the Genesis Roleplay game. And when it comes to creating your own setting or world in Genesis, or even expanding upon an existing setting, one of the very first things that uh, often comes to mind for GMs and certainly for players is archetypes and species. That's right. Whether it's specialized humans, archetypes, who embody classic tropes, or genuine species of diverse appearance and ability who populate your sci-fi and fantasy settings. The archetypes and species available for players to select go a long way to imparting the tone and feeling of your game. Now, back in episode four, we began the first of a series on this topic of archetype and species creation, uh, focusing on overall rules for species crafting, uh, which was actually the bulk of that that uh, uh, furnace section. Mm. But then we we honed into some serious details on species archetypes, uh, on species and archetypes with a high bronze score. Uh, the, the, the burly and brawny species <laughs> and archetypes out there. Uh, and in that discussion, which uh, we strongly encourage you to go back and listen to if you haven't already, uh, we use the details of the species creation mechanics to hone in on the best practices uh, the tips and tricks for developing the, you know, the custom-created brawn-focused archetypes. But tonight, we're going to pump the bellows again to focus instead on a very different species set. Those that focus on willpower. Strong-willed, mentally tough. Uh, high willpower species work best for some common, very specific concepts, and we're going to dig into those concepts tonight, including the best practices to develop your very own species and archetype abilities for those concepts. Absolutely. Now, the boilerplate before we go any further is we will not be discussing the core <laughs> rules of creating species. Uh, please go take uh, a listen to episode four, as I mentioned before, uh, where we will cover where we basically have covered all of that. Uh, in the first half of that furnace segment. Uh, there's there's no use repeating it, um, and we're going to proceed assuming that you know what we're talking about. So tonight we're going to take those rules and then apply them, obviously, to a new archetype and a species focused. As you said, mm. the will, the willful species <laughs> or archetypes, those, those willpower-focused um, concepts. Yep. So let, let's, let's start by talking about that, because much like we did when we were talking about the brawny and burly mm. character types, um, you know, when you're designing an archetype or a species that has this kind of a focus, there's typically certain concepts that you're trying to achieve or that you want that species or archetype to be, you know, ideally suited for. Mm. And, you know, I, I think when it comes to willpower specifically, I think there's some really interesting and, and common tropes uh, that, that apply and, and, and character concepts. Mm. Look, I think the first one, and we mentioned it uh, earlier when we were talking about discipline, uh, that uh, you have the holy man or, or the priest. Uh, so the people who are talking, you know, the, they're using the discipline and using the divine uh, to, uh, you know, as, the, as their core focus, uh, whether that be, you know, spells, whether it be healing or, or something like that, or even sort of as sort of your scholarly, if magic doesn't play a part, but they're very, very religious. So, you know, that sort of character is the first one that comes to mind when you're talking about, uh, you know, willpower or, or wisdom type characters. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's worth noting because the divine magic skill is willpower based, right? Mm. Um, so so it's it's if you, if you want to create a species that is a natural divine caster, hmm. I mean this is this is the place to start. It's also worth noting, and we'll come to this, <laughs> but 
uh, high willpower equals high strain threshold, which is important for any spellcaster. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um, now, the other, um, the, or I should say the next uh, sort of character concept that I think the the willful archetype really, really embodies is the the idea of the social combatant, mm. or um, to, to, borrow, to borrow some Star Wars terminology, the propagandist. Yes. Um, you know, where, where specifically willpower is associated, of course, as we said, to discipline, um, but also from a social skills standpoint, coercion mm. is a willpower skill um and so if you're if you're a social combatant who is really focused on social combat and threats and coercion with discipline as a defensive skill when you're in those those social combats as well um it's a great concept it's also worth noting that again high strength threshold which you can get with a high willpower Mm. is also very amenable and beneficial to a, a a propagandist or socially combative character as well mm. because when you take those hits they're going to strain yeah and i mean just on a on a side note to that one thing that i've seen happen i don't know how many times in games that i've run is that your burly characters or your uh, the people who like your bounty hunters and things like that that's what sort of made it a little bit foreign to me when i saw that there um, was when you're looking at um, your stats like coercion, because it's linked to willpower, it's amazing how many burly type characters or how many people who are really into the whole um, standover tactics have used willpower as a bit of a dump stat. Uh, and they've looked for yeah. species with that dump stat, and then suddenly they get frustrated because they they've got a few ranks in coercion, but realise that they have a willpower of one. You know that that's something yeah. to keep in mind. That if you are going to be using coercion as a tactic, you need to be looking at uh, at uh, either will based willpower based characters, or at least characters that have archetypes and species. Sorry, that have at least two in willpower so that it can power that coercion a little bit better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another type that that I think fits nicely into it is, um, to, to put it into Western terms, I guess, is the quick draw um, who, uh, who lives and dies by vigilance. Um, so, ah. you know, again, vigilance is something that which, you know, uses willpower. Yeah, and this is a really unusual concept, but it, it, you don't think about this for a willful character type. But but this this quick draw, and it really it just comes down to one skill, um, you know, <laughs> or maybe two. Uh, but you know, vigilance be, being the most common. But yeah, vigilance is is obviously willpower based. Yeah. Um, and so that that quick reactor is someone if, if and I've seen character concepts where it's like that's what they're focused on. They're focused on being the hyper vigilant weirdo who always acts first and makes sure <laughs> that the party has a five success, five advantage at the top of the initiative count every single <laughs> combat, right? Right. Uh, you know, um, it, it's also worth noting for this type of character and especially, you know, if, if you are in like a Western setting, Mm. Which is 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 a great uh, uh, you know uh, callback there um, to the quick draw. <laughs> and when we talked about discipline and uses of discipline and that sort of contest of wills mm. that could be going on, mm. um, I'm sorry, but a gunfight, um, like like a true you know you know 
pistols at noon kind of, you know, mm. uh, gunfight in the street could very much be represented if you're doing it from a skills challenge standpoint, especially starting off with a contest of wills yeah. where it's discipline versus discipline of the two gunfighters. Mm. Um, so, so discipline could also come into play for the quick draw build as well. It's mm. worth noting. Absolutely. Look, the, the other one as well, which which comes to mind, which kind of is a bit of the the holy man that we mentioned before, um, is the scholar. Now, I know that yeah. the first idea when it comes to a scholarly person would be intellect, and that might very yeah. well be the case. But we're talking about someone who is wise and someone who does have a lot of mental fortitude. So if you're using a setting like Ready Fight, for example, uh, that you might have your, uh, your old wise master who has a high willpower. Uh, because that you know they they're the ones that can you know make themselves walk on water or, or whatever else, uh, you know <laughs> that things like that. Uh, that, uh, that yeah. So that's- I, I don't know if if like I, I hear what you're going for. Maybe instead of scholar, because that is definitely more an academic. It's like the 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 idea of like the wise master. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sen- sense sensei. Right. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm um, going for. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Absolutely mm. love it. So, okay, these are some really good, you know, character concepts that 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 a, a willful archetype can embody. Mm. Um, let, let's talk about some considerations when building. Um, so before before we get into uh, you know, how, how we can appropriately modify those those six aspects of an archetype. Uh, to make a, a willpower focused one, mm. let's start our discussion with stats mm. um, and 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 characteristics specifically yeah. um, that are not willpower. You know, as we talked about in episode four um, with Brawn and Burly characters having that dump stat. You know, you, you've obviously got the situation where we know that three is going to be in willpower, mm. and you know you're going to have all twos and one one at least to start with. Mm. Where does the one go, Huli? What is what is the dump <laughs> stat, the dump characteristic for a, a willful species? I really found this hard to actually come up with one. It I mean, the, the the first th- that you might be thinking of is to go brawn, but I'll prove that that's wrong later mm-hmm. on. But we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, I mean. You, you, <sighs> It's 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 impossibly hard. Like like let's so go through them. Okay, you say okay, maybe maybe bronze the dump, right? right? But as we as we talked about when we were talking about brawny archetypes, hmm. um, you know, willpower and brawn have a good linkage because most brawny archetypes have coercion as a skill, right? Yeah, right. So there's a good innate linkage there. Hmm. Okay, you think about okay, well maybe agility. Okay, maybe maybe agility. But but then again, um, when you talk about a you know something like the quick draw hmm. archetype, yep. um, or concept for the archetype. Uh, no, that doesn't fit at all. Mm. Uh, maybe maybe you think intellect, but then again, when you go to your wise master, okay, mm. um, or, or I'm sorry, even the holy man or or, or that, that scholarly type, that doesn't make sense. Mm. And then all you're left with is presence and cunning. Mm. And I mean, the thing is, those are social, socially focused skills to, to or, or our characteristics. Um, that are tied to socially focused skills to a very, very strong degree, yeah. but so is willpower. It's it's very, it's very hard. <laughs> <laughs> Look, my money was on cunning. 
and this is and sort of hear me out for, for this and this is my reasoning is that willpower is very much about being methodical about being um you know rather than being very what like more wise but then again the problem is you've got vigilance i guess because it's all about being quick uh and noticing those things exactly. at the last minute but i think that cunning for me is probably the dump stat that I would be using if I was doing something in that sort of vein. Um, but realistically, it can be any. Uh, and, and this is the point that I think that we're trying to make, is that if you're designing it, you've got to pick one of them, um, and it's going to be dependent on what your theme is. Exactly. You know, if, if we go back to the, the four that we chose before, the holy man, you know, you might be looking at, um, uh, at cunning. You wouldn't be looking at presence because they have to obviously be being able to give sermons and, and things like that. So, you know, maybe it, it might be um, uh, cunning. It might be agility because they're, they're not very sort of, you know, out and about, um, you know, jumping between trees or, or whatever else. Your social combat wouldn't be looking at any of your uh, – so your social combatant, should I say, shouldn't be looking at, at any of their social skills as being dump stats. So maybe it should be looking at like your, your brawn or your um, or or your agility. Agility. Um, you know, yeah. quick draw is all about agility. So you would be looking at that, and certainly more about your combat. So maybe you might be looking at at your presence uh, as your dump stat for that. The other thing from from your your, your point is when mm. you when you talk about cunning, I couldn't even settle on cunning because I see vigilance and perception as two skills that are for certain mm. concepts integrally linked yeah. right that that person who's the 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 scout and that's an, that's another concept that that uh is 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 another face of the quick draw which mm. is which is the scout that person who's who's constantly there to react and sense danger but if you're going for that kind of concept and that kind of trope perception is also crucial so you don't want cunning to be a dumb stat <laughs> either <true>. right <laughs> so so you know your your point is one hundred percent valid and very well taken. Unlike our discussion with burly archetypes, where we had some very obvious dump stats we could point to, here you really have to tailor the dump stat to the concept that you want the archetype that you're creating to represent. Yep, absolutely, indeed. So we've looked at the dump stat. <laughs> That's a pretty important part. Um, so now let's look at, at um, you know, the, the old strain threshold folly that we mentioned in the previous episode. So let's let's quickly touch base on that uh, as to what, well, that, last, what that is. In the previous episode, we talked about the wound threshold folly. Yes, that is true. So now we've got the strain threshold folly. So if you have someone who has a high willpower, willpower is directly attached to your strain threshold. So yes. the higher you go with your... Uh, your strain threshold, um, it's going to directly impact. So if you've got three in your willpower and then you have a strain threshold of 12, you're instantly getting 15 without even thinking about it. Cool. Which is a lot. <laughs> Great if you're yeah. a spellcaster, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, those divine characters, they they kick some serious butt. As simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's that's the the only issue that you've really got to concern yourself with. And so, when you're looking at the costs of strain um, with this particular, like cost to to increase your strain threshold, 
maybe it may be worth more to take it up that additional point. So something to consider there because it's directly associated with um, with willpower. Potentially, mm. um, potentially, um, that w- that would be a break from the the, the recommended things. But but yep. it's just you just just be careful. Mm. I think it I think it matters more for your free skill rank. Yes, um, in terms of overcosting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, the strain threshold folly again. Keep that in mind. You as as Huli said, right. You know, before you say, "Well, they're a high will, they're a willful species, so they should have more than ten plus willpower." If you if you increase willpower naturally, it's going to be higher anyways. Just yep. don't don't do double duty. Okay, but what? Okay, let's talk about let's talk about skill usage then. Okay, mm. Mm. Um, because obviously, as as the 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 core special ability for a custom archetype or species, um, you get a free rank and a skill. Mm. And as we talked about back in episode four. That is costed out, assuming that it's not a really innately natural combo. Right. If it's an innate natural combo, you need to reduce five XP from the starting XP total. Um, but but you know, obviously, what are those natural combos? I mean, we've we've talked about them, right? There yeah. are at least from the 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 core and 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 supplement books we have so far. Mm-hmm. There's what four willpower skills That's right. available. So we've got discipline, we've got coercion, vigilance. And divine, which is obviously your um, your spellcasting skill. So you know uh, there are certainly some character concepts that you can throw around those, but you just have to be really, really careful if you're going to say that they get a free rank in discipline. You're automatically giving them a, a, a bump up because of the fact of that they're linked in with those willpower skills. Good synergy. So yep. yeah, so that that good synergy there, but that does cost, and that's recommended in in the rules. That if you're giving them a free skill that does synergize with those abilities, it should be ten points rather than five. Yeah, it's it's assumed that what you're giving them is only going to cost five yep. as, as for for free. Yeah. So I don't know. So those are those are the core. And I mean, when it comes to other skill like free ranks that we can recommend, mm-hmm. I think it really comes down to you know like like basically non willpower skills. Yeah. It really again, and and this is going to be I guess a recurring theme with this particular you know willful species. It comes back to the concept. No. Mm, absolutely. So I, I guess what it boils down to, it's going to, again, as you say, it's going to be all about your theme. So if, if you've got some things that, uh, that are outside of, the, of those four, you know, again, if you're going to be using more social, maybe look at having ones that are going to link in with those, uh, link in with discipline, for example, uh, because we've said that discipline in, the, in our previous section We've said that discipline is like a non-social social skill. So yeah. maybe look at some of those other ones like charm, um, like negotiation, leadership. That's going to link in with that. And there are certainly some uh, some careers that we see that have obviously cottoned onto that idea as well. Um, the one that comes to mind is the starship captain, for example. Um, obviously very, yeah. very militaristic. Uh, so discipline is a big part of that. But leadership is is as well because obviously they they have to get up and and lead their their troops, so um, you know things like that. So, but if you're going for your more um, the the gunslinger type type character, the the fast shooter, that that's where you should be looking at stuff like you know that if you don't want to go down the vigilance part, look at things like perception, look at things like survival, depending on what sort of a character it is, mm-hmm. maybe. 
looking at uh, at things like knowledge skills as well. So there's it's just going to be yeah. dependent completely on on what your concept is to determine uh, you know if you want to step away from using skills that are providing that synergy. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. So the last area of archetype species custom creation hmm. is of course the you know the unique abilities, you know with the special abilities being that free hmm. rank in the skill, right? Right. So for unique abilities, um, you know, for, for a willful species or archetype, mm-hmm. um, we have a, we have a few categories. Obviously the, the, the first is going to be the, uh, the, the once in encounter story point driven potent abilities. Mm. And, and interestingly, so far in the Genesis rules, uh-huh. we haven't seen any of these for willpower. No, we haven't. No. But but we've seen them for other characteristics that we can easily reskin. Um the the first one is of course willpower substitution for other characteristics in skills. You know, yep. so it's like you know, once a session, spend a story point and you can make a skill check using willpower instead of whatever characteristics associated with that skill normally, mm, right? Exactly. Um similarly, you can do the same cost to use willpower to substitute skill ranks mm. in a skill. And that's that's kind of like the intellectual who can spend a story point yes. once a session and they substitute their intellect for their ranks in, in whatever skill that they're, they're using. So, yeah, to, yes. to take their willpower ranks across, that's potent. <laughs> it, it is. Now, b- between the two, I mm. find the latter a little more distasteful when it comes to willpower and the and the reason being from from the intellectual uh ability Mm -hmm. that you're referencing from the core rule book it makes total sense to me it's Mm. kind of like i've read about that okay where where it's it's like you know you're you're substituting book learning for practical knowledge and that that learning that experience is what skill ranks represent um, for willpower, that makes a little less sense to me. However, the first option where you're using willpower to substitute for something else, like another mm-hmm. characteristic, mm-hmm. I love that option because it's such the epitome of willpower. Mm. It's like, you know, yeah, I'm going to pick up a gun and my my agility is horrible, <laughs> but I'm going to spend a story point and once an encounter – I, through sheer force of will, I will use my willpower plus the range, you know, light mm. skill ranks yeah. to, to build this pool. Or I'll use my willpower to pilot this ship mm. or lift this boulder. Or you, does, that, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I find that to be very potent and very powerful. Yeah, it certainly fits uh, quite a number of tropes to, to you know, the, the, at the last minute, you, you've got to get um, Billy from, uh, you know, the the collapsing building that's filled full of water that that has the uh the the pillar that's fallen over onto his leg and he can't escape you know to to have that type of moment where you are substituting your willpower it's amazing <laughs> it's 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 the mom lifting a car off of her burning toddler that's in the wreck right, right? yeah right I mean, I mean, that's that's what it is <laughs> oh oh spin a story point there okay <laughs> um yes so. So we have those options, and the last common option for those once-encounter story-point-driven abilities, mm-hmm. and I, I absolutely love this one. We haven't seen it yet in Genesis, but it is there in Star Wars, and it's beautiful, and we can use it. And this is instant strain recovery, mm. where um, once per session, spend a story point, 
and recover strain equal to your willpower mm. as an incidental. Just yep. bam. Very, very worthwhile. Yeah, we do see that obviously with um, uh, with Second Wind, for example. But that's yeah, talking yeah. specifically about strain recovery with ranks in that talent. Not exactly. Um, not with willpower. So uh, yeah, that that is something which um, uh, it would be kind of cool to see, and maybe we'll see it shortly from someone who listens. Uh, <laughs> there are also a, a few less potent abilities as well, which are uh, basically always on. Now we we see some of them already in the core rulebook uh, where we use fearsome. Uh, that's a that's a great example. Um, where, you know, it, it gives you basically 5 XP. It gives you a boost um, to coercion checks. Um, that would add setbacks for every other social check. So it, it's really cool for, you know, people who who want that character that that is always intimidating. Um, but, uh, you know, not, not really good at parties, I guess. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, it's a, very, it's a very interesting point because fearsome is usually seen as a detractive ability, right? That's why it gives you five XP instead of costing it, right? Yep. Right. Um, you know, for for the uh, for for the for the the the, the archetype creation. Mm. But yeah, I mean, in this scenario, if you're making a willful character that's really focused on being scary and coercion, mm. it's actually quite a benefit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the other one as well is uh, something that we don't see a lot of, um, but it's things like that provide automatic advantages on on a specific for example willpower check um which it's a really good 5xp option um because it's not giving a lot uh and one advantage you know is is still kind of thematic because you know you you're gaining a little bit of of a benefit but it's not an expensive option uh, so it's again more sort of rounding off the edges, uh, a little bit of fine tuning when you're designing your character. If you really want it to be, uh, you know, you, you've got a specific sort of idea in mind of what this character is, um, and just giving them uh, an extra advantage um, is uh, on a willpower power check is is kind of cool as well. Now, as a note on this, I mean. We first saw the auto advantage uh, starting to be applied in Star Wars for the first time yep. um, is where it first showed up. Mm. So if you're going to do this, and I love this option, right, where, mm. where you know, you whenever you roll this skill, you know, you, you automatically get a, a an, an automatic advantage added to your, you know, one advantage added to your, your dice pool results. Mm. Um, yeah, obviously, it needs to be a willpower based skill, one skill. But it, it's worth noting, guys, that some of these skills for certain tropes and concepts are going to be much more valuable and imperative than others. Mm. And, and, and there's one that you should never do. So first and foremost, we went through the four skills for willpower. Mm. Um, if you're going to do this and you like the idea of that, that, you know, Hey, get an auto advantage on a, you know, whatever, on a specific willpower skill and you choose that skill, that skill should never be divine. Never, ever, mm. ever, 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 ever. Um, I can just tell you some personal build and experience and creation on this and a lot of playtesting, dealing with magic and custom magic and other things like that. You don't want to monkey with that because extra advantage on a magic skill check has way too many ramifications. Mm. And if you were to say, yeah, every time you roll divine, you get an automatic extra advantage, that is seriously overpowered for 5xp mm. now additionally i don't think it's overpowered but it's a lot more versatile and worthwhile than you might think an extra advantage on coercion 
is actually quite helpful in social combat every time you roll it. An extra, and holy, think about this, mm. an extra advantage on vigilance mm. every single time you roll it. What does an extra advantage mean for initiative rolls, man? It's basically, when it comes to a symbol check, which is what you're doing in combat, it's going to give you that little extra advantage when every it comes... Every time. Every single time, because it might be that one advantage difference between you and the bad guy because it's used mm. to um to tie break when it comes to when people are, are acting in the round so uh, mm-hmm. so yeah very very helpful as far as that goes something else that i just wanted to touch base on and it's not a big thing but it's something to take into consideration as well is that anytime that you're giving an advantage um that potentially you're also giving uh, an extra point of strain back not a big deal when it comes to vigilance because it's as has been ruled it's not actually allowed um when you're making those sorts of checks to to get um you uh, and even with recovering strain uh that it's only successes it's not the the double advantages even though that that's played differently with different groups and some groups sort of say that it's two advantages some some say that it's advantages equal one as normal. Uh, but for the most part, and it has been ruled, is that um, it's successes only. But certainly in other skill checks, that if you're strapped for something to do, you can always get that point of strain. So yep. something to keep in mind as far as strain recovery, giving an extra advantage can sometimes play into that as well. Absolutely. Mm. Okay, so we've talked about this. Mm. And I think I've got in my head the best lessons for building a willful species. Mm. Um, so Gamer Nation, back in episode four, uh, Huli and I built a, a burly uh, species archetype mm-hmm. uh, live on the show. We built, we built the Minotaur. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was cool. <laughs> we, we, had, we, we did. We, we had a lot of fun doing that. Mm. And so we, we decided to, to amp things up a little bit uh, for this time around. And I think this will probably be our formula going forward uh, through the rest of our archetype species discussion mm-hmm. shows, um, where Huli and I have each taken our own stab individually at creating uh, our own archetype. Mm-hmm. And th- that's, that's based on these concepts. And, and we're going we're gonna to go through and share them with you. Yeah. And we, we very intentionally did this blind uh, without knowing what the other was going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I, I want to go first because yours is so much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I like yours. Uh, so they, look, it's all good. <laughs> well, okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to go too crazy with mine. I wanted to create something that was a little more of a standard uh, species. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, a long time ago, uh, in, uh, I was playing Dungeons and Dragons a very, very, very long time ago, mm-hmm. and it was one of the Splat books had the concept. I forget what they called the species, but basically, um, it was the opposite of a tiefling, right. um, where instead of having um, you know infernal uh, blood heritage, mm-hmm. it was celestial blood heritage. That would be the Asimar. The Asimar. That was what it was. I yes, <laughs> um, and uh, this was that's how long ago this was. Um, so. That's what I was kind of inspired by. I played an Asimar character for a while, mm-hmm. and uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, and so 
from a from a fantasy role playing standpoint, I really like that concept, and for me, it really fit for the willful archetype. So that's what I created. I mm. I, 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 I I because I don't want to use the term Asimov because that's obviously Dungeons and Dragons. Sure, I'm calling it the the God touched. That's cool. Um, or or maybe the maybe the the half celestial. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like God touched. Um, <laughs> that's cool. I like I, it. I, I, I like God touched too. Yep. Um. So that's the idea. You have you have celestial blood in your veins, uh, and with that, um, I, again, I wanted to keep this you know a, a, a simple humanoid concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, with that, obviously, we have our starting characteristics. Willpower is obviously going to be at a three mm-hmm. because of the theme. Mm-hmm. I put cunning as the one, mm. mostly because just from a heritage and natural standpoint, this is this is just your bloodline is going to make it harder for you to lie. And commit skullduggery. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That's actually a really good justification for that. That's cool. That was that was kind of my was kind of my thought behind mm. it. And of course, that leaves brawn, agility, intellect, and presence at it too. Right. Um. Again, I didn't want to go crazy with this. You know, it, it's kind of like kind of like the the, the Asimov. It's, it's you know, God touched is you know your your great 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 ancestor was a celestial of some type. Um. So I, I kind of left the wound stress threshold and strain threshold as they are. Ten mm-hmm. plus brawn, ten plus willpower, standard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now continuing with the theme, I was thinking about the special ability and wanting to know where to put that one free rank. Mm-hmm. Um. Keeping this as close to a standard species as possible, I really wanted to try and keep the XP starting XP up there. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to do anything synergistic, but I wanted to do something thematically appropriate. Mm-hmm. And where I really settled, uh, based on that was a free rank in knowledge religion or mm. whatever the um, representative knowledge skill would be in whatever setting this is in, you mm. know, lore or whatever it is like that. Yeah. Um, that, that, seemed, that made a lot of sense to me. Mm. But what about the unique rules? That's what I always um, keen about. Uh, okay. So um, obviously uh, you get one free unique ability that's 5 XP worthy without mm-hmm. having to adjust your starting XP. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, Based on the earlier conversation we've had uh, in this show, um, I came up with a special ability that was a once an encounter story point driven thing, mm-hmm. uh, which was which I'm calling force of will. Right. Once per session, your character may spend a story point as an incidental. And if they do so, the next check they make during that term, they count their ranks in the skill being used as equal to their willpower. I did this in opposition to my earlier advice. <laughs> and the, the reason I did it mm-hmm. is because of the concept itself being God touched or divine. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's one of those things where you're, you're getting a flash of divine skill mm-hmm. or divine knowledge, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and that's that's kind of why I, I did that because it sort of it, it fit the theme very mm. very well. Mm. Um, now that all that actually left me with all that all and done, still at a hundred starting XP. I haven't had to adjust the starting XP at all. Mm. Um, but I did go ahead and add in one other unique ability because I felt it was very fitting um, for uh, this particular you know this this Asimar like you know God touched mm-hmm. um, where they have this celestial heritage where they they're able you know obviously they're going to be tending towards fighting evildoers wherever they can yep. um, the the dark vision ability made a lot of sense mm, for me absolutely um, additionally on the mechanical side because I decided to put the one in cunning I know they're going to take a hit in their perception <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And this would help balance it out just a wee bit. Yeah. And it was totally worth it for me um, for a five X for an additional five XP hit to the starting XP. Yep. So that actually brings the starting XP down to 95, mm. um, which I think is very feasible. 95 starting XP for the God touched uh, mm. inspired by the Asimar. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, Mm. Yeah, that's that's where that's where I'm at, you I know, like and, and you know, pretty standard. I like it. Look, there may be some people that might sort of say that uh, based on the advice that you gave earlier, that something like Force of Will may be a little bit more expensive than that, and you know, it may drop it down to ninety XP. Uh, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I, I don't, I don't think so because if you mm. look at the other similar abilities that are in the yeah, core rule book around exactly. core archetypes, yep. they're costed at five. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So for mine, um, I struggled a little bit with this, but um, I came up with a bit of an idea. Um, hey. Bit of a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, so I've come up with the Treant Sapling. So I didn't want somebody to be walking around in a, a, as a massive tree or something like that. Um, but hey, look, you could do that. Just don't worry about making them, uh, you know, a, a, a size a silhouette too. Um, just run with that there reaching the limits of silhouette one um so uh, but anyway you're a sapling i love it that's right so um my starting characteristics are a little bit different um so obviously willpower of three but i've also gone with a brawn of three because that makes sense because you're a big tree um but i've kept intellect and presence uh at two and the reason why i chose that is that you know they're they're old they're still wise and they've seen a lot so their intellect would be would still be fairly high, and their and their presence. Well, there's some nice looking trees out there, um, but the two that I really hit, but that I made as one was cunning and agility. And the reason why, and I mentioned this before, the reason why I chose cunning is because to me they're more wise. They're not quick thinkers. They are very much sort of they will spend years sometimes debating so a cunning of one seemed more appropriate and hey look they're a tree they don't really move very fast so i'm thinking an agility of one suited that down fine so Quite. yeah um for the willpower i'm sorry for the uh the wound threshold and the strain threshold um i decided to go 12 um for the wound threshold uh, because uh, it's, you know, trees are sturdy, they're big, they're bulky, so they're going to have a lot more wounds. Uh, but I left the strain at uh, at 10 because I didn't really want to mess with that too much. Um, and also because, you know, if, if you're a treant, you might want to go down the whole spellcasting thing, but I didn't want to have the, the whole problem of, you know, if they had 12 willpower, Sorry, if they if they had twelve in their strain threshold, that they would have massive amounts of of strain to be dealing with. So, so I kept it at, at, at ten. Listen, a base wound threshold of fifteen for a treant, uh, even a young one, I think is totally reasonable. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think you made the right one. Now, now, may, now can I clarify something mm. uh, and say so? Because uh, because you've you've done a lot here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so far, much, much more adjustment than I have. And I'm trying to keep track in my head yep. and make sure I'm still on point with you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you increased brawn to a three. That's yep. going to reduce. Th that's a 30 XP hit to your starting XP. But you decreased another score down to one. Mm. So that's a 20 XP boon. So you're, you're really only at minus 10 XP 
after characteristics. But the and- thing that you've got to take into consideration is that I've actually done that twice because I've taken up um, both brawn as well as willpower to three, and then I've dropped cunning and agility to one. Okay, okay. And so what that means is that uh, just in stats alone, that I'm already at negative 20. For those that are tracking it on home. Um, <laughs> and so for the special abilities as far as the, the, the skill, I kind of went in the same sort of direction as what you did, Chris. That they've seen things that you wouldn't believe. Um, but also they're in... Uh, the sort of environment that they're obviously going to be in is that they're going to have an idea of what's around them. So that's the reason why I've gone with, um, you know, one free rank in knowledge law or knowledge geography. So I use Terranoth a little bit to uh, to give me a bit of an idea. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so I've, I've said that they have a choice of either knowledge law or knowledge geography. Um, which, I, again, I just felt that that um, suited the theme. And it's not linking in with, uh, with willpower to, to overpower it as well. Um, for my unique abilities, I had a lot of fun <laughs> with this, to oh, be honest. Oh, buddy. <laughs> I've got buddy. four of them. Um, but- oh, my God. Now, look, now, put this in perspective. You're at, you're at minus 15 starting XP right now. Right, right. Okay. And and you get one five XP special ability for free, and you added four. <laughs> yes, but there is a reason. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Okay. Okay. So uh, I'll talk about the positives first. So the first one that I put in was old and wise. So once per session, when your character makes a discipline or a knowledge law check, uh, they may spend a story point to add a triumph to the check. So, which is pretty powerful, but I basically said that that's, that's worth a few more points. Um, but that's, it's once a session, it, there is an ability which is similar to that, which is, which is a talent from Star Wars, um, that allows that, that expenditure. So it is a, it is pretty potent, but it's once a session and it's only to do with a knowledge check. Um, uh, it's also discipline as well. So, you know, the, I may pair it back to only be knowledge law, um, which would make it a little less powerful. Um, so, uh, but originally uh, I've gone with discipline um, or knowledge law check, and it's only once a session. Uh, so no, uh, so, I think yeah. it's I think it's fine because uh, I'm sorry, a triumph on a discipline check doesn't have any egregious and obvious no. benefit. Mm. I mean, if you if this was magic or combat, we'd be t- we'd be having a different conversation, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. So, if you, for example, and this is sort of, I, I thought about what are some of the skill checks that could occur when you've got, uh, when you're doing a discipline check. And harking back to what we talked about uh, in our previous section with discipline, one of the things that um, uh, came into play is that with social skills, because it is a non-social social skill, uh, that you might be using the social skill table for doing checks using discipline, especially in, in that social sort of environment. And one of those things is that you know something about someone because they're, you know, their intent behind it. And that would be represented in, in this case that they've seen the, the same sort of thing, humans acting the way that they always have. 
and so they've recognised that uh, that that one intention that that NPC has that may be able to assist in the current circumstance that whether they're negotiating or, or whatever it is that they're doing um, to uh, to affect the party's outcome. So I think that that would be useful in that regard. Uh, what did you cost? Uh, I cost that at 10 XP um, because, you know, yeah. you, you get your free um, five-pointer for whatever better term, but I felt that it was more expensive than that by a long shot, so I increased that uh, that um, up a little bit as well. Um, uh, I, I completely agree. Mm. I completely agree. Yeah. So the other thing as well, because, you know, again, Lord of the Rings, I've, I've seen them walking around with the, the hobbits, um, that I felt that extra load was appropriate uh, so that they can walk around with additional pieces of equipment uh, and things like that, uh, as well as other people. So I've said that the Treant may carry twice their encumbrance capacity. Wow. Now, depending on what sort of um, what sort of campaign that you're running, encumbrance may not be an issue for you. Uh, and you just apply common sense. But if it is, I think that this would be uh, be appropriate to basically um, cover twice their encumbrance capacity. Um, they're based in a forest, so I've given them just a small token, uh, which is actually from the core rulebook. Uh, I've called it Forest Dwellers, where your character may remove a setback imposed by forest or jungle conditions, and that's just a five-pointer. Extra load. What did you cost that at? Uh, I cost that at five points. I would agree with that as well. So, yeah. okay. So based on old and wise, considering you're going to get five points for free, mm-hmm. you're looking at another minus fifteen mm-hmm. x starting XP just based on those three unique rules. So you're looking at minus thirty starting XP mm-hmm. at this point, mm-hmm. which brings you down to seventy. Mm-hmm. But you said you had a fourth. I do. And my fourth is slow and ponderous. So I took a little bit of a page out of uh, Huts, um, but I changed it around a little bit because I really didn't like the idea of only being able to take one manoeuvre around. Um, So what I've said is that when your character takes a second move action during their turn, so that's any time that they take a second move action, they always suffer the two strain. So you know how, obviously, if you take in a round, you have an action and a manoeuvre, and you can convert your action into a manoeuvre to give you a second manoeuvre. Any time that they do that, that they automatically take that second point of strain, or those those two extra strain. So if you were doing an action and two manoeuvres in a round, you'd be taking four strain. So you can do it, but it's an expensive exercise. That's a really good balancing ability. Hmm. I mean, I'm assuming that's obviously got negative cost. What was the negative you costed it at? Look, I costed it at negative 15 because I felt that it was uh, – it, it, it really limits what your character can do. And especially if you're a, a spellcaster or whatever else, you're dealing with – you're losing strain uh, massively. So the problem with that is obviously is that you don't have that, that strain to, to be casting your spells. So, uh, so yeah, I felt that it was a, a nice hit. I, I like it at minus 15. This is so heavy. I might even go minus 20, but I think minus 15 is a good place to start. Mm. And so that means that leaves me with 85 XP, which is still not too bad. For a, for an, such an unusual archetype like this? Absolutely. Mm. That's great. Mm. So Dude. if you were playing it as a character and, and if you do as per what the rules suggest, you could still have two fours. If you wanted to go down that path, 
but you're going to be stuck with two ones for a very, very long time. <laughs> so, because you don't have that extra, you know, that extra five XP that you really needed to be able to get one of those ones up to a two. So, uh, so yeah, if you wanted to to go down the path of having four two fours, which would be amazing, a little bit power gamery, but but would be amazing. But you're not going to be able to get rid of that deficit of those two ones. So, so yeah, I think love it. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> So obviously, um, for our listeners who uh, maybe have been following along, but would very much like to see these two uh, species that we've created of willful uh, archetypes, mm. uh, is there some place or location that maybe they can go and find them written up in a beautiful Genesis style format? Yeah, absolutely. They can go to our wonderful website, which is forgedgenesis.com. Um, and we'll put the link up as we always do in all of our social media as well. So, uh, yeah, go and check that out. Um, and, uh, yeah, let us know. Give us some feedback. We'd love to, <laughs> to know what, uh, what you think, uh, and, uh, how you would improve, or maybe you can share some of yours as well. Uh, that, uh, uh those that are my think. favorites. Mm. Those are my favorites. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, love it. All right. Well, we've created a whole heap of stuff, but there is somebody else that I know that has created way more stuff than what we have, um, <laughs> and uh, he's amazing, and I, and I love talking to him as well. So, should we bring him on um, into uh, our next segment? You know, we only talked to him last month, but quite frankly, <laughs> it's been it's been far too long. So, yes, let's uh, let's break the mold with some uh, silver chocolate goodness. <laughs> Breaking the mold. The Genesis Foundry is an exciting community of fan-created content for Genesis. New settings, new rules options, adventure and campaign modules, and much, much more. But some creators go above and beyond, subverting our expectations and breaking the mold with their work. Our Breaking the Mold segment is dedicated to showcasing an exciting offering available right now in the Genesis Foundry as we separate the pure alloy from the slag and point you to the best content out there. Now, tonight's guest is one of the most experienced and award-winning authors currently writing in the industry, in my opinion. I'm a bit of a fanboy, but that's a side note. Uh, In addition to his scores of published works and numerous major RPG companies, uh, he's an experienced Electrum and Mithril-level seller on DriveThruRPG and has two titles currently in the Genesis Foundry. He joined us as a keynote guest on our recent episode 5 to discuss adventure seed creation and is joining us tonight to talk about his best-selling android adventure on the foundry power play now we are proud to welcome back to the show mr sterling hershey welcome to the show or welcome back should i say thanks (laughs) good to be here um so sterling we we got to know you quite well back in episode five where we kind of discussed your introduction to the industry and the hobby and all the work you've done and clearly that experience has been leveraged quite heavily for your 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 Android adventure power play, although I don't know if I want to call it an adventure, but maybe we can talk about that. Um, uh, and, and so obviously that the you know, power play is really that product that's out there right now. We'd really like to, to highlight tonight. Now, firstly, I mean, Huli, this power play is an incredible product. <laughs> Indeed. Um, it basically it grabs a hold of of the Android setting so well. Uh, Power Play, it's a standalone adventure for, uh, or, or mini campaign, as you alluded to, 
um, for uh, for the Android setting um, in all of its cyberpunk glory. So, Sterling, uh, can you uh, perhaps uh, tell us uh, about this wonderful creation of yours? Give us the elevator pitch, so to speak. Uh, how would you describe PowerPlay to someone who was interested in buying it and what it actually is? Um, sure. Uh, so PowerPlay is, uh, I'm, I'm calling it a mini campaign. Um, and we can talk more about that in a little bit. But um, basically a series of adventures that, uh, from an Android standpoint, uh, first of all, it takes place uh, on the moon. And it is basically, um, there is a uh, sort of black market cybernetics group that... Uh, it starts to have a bunch of malfunctions associated with it. Uh, for one reason or another, the characters go and investigate. And in that process, they are pulled into what turns out to be a much bigger scheme involving criminal organizations, uh, a couple of, uh, or a big um, corporation on the moon, and uh, a power struggle within, uh, within some of those factions. Mm. And so... Uh, you know, it's it's really set up for you know four to six players, moderate moderate level, probably not brand new players. Although you could you could adapt it to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, sorry, brand new characters, not players. <laughs> and uh, you know, they if things develop um, as they are as as the adventure goes, um, the players hopefully have the opportunity to have a big influence over how this this struggle between these different elements, uh, what the actual outcome is. And depending on how ambitious the players are, they might even be able to insert themselves into, into it in a bigger, an even bigger way. Mm-hmm. Some of it's a little experimental. I'll be in- interested to see how different groups end up, what, what's, what they achieve in the end. Mm-hmm. But we can talk about that also. But love- uh, yeah, it's focused on the moon. Um, I, I did choose the moon, for instance, because for the uh, Shadows of the Beanstalk, a lot of the elements that I was working on was the the beanstalk, the upper elements of the beanstalk and the moon mm. locations. So I already had a working knowledge of those areas. Yeah. And I've always been fascinated with sort of moon stories going back <laughs> to science fiction. So it was that's that's why I, part of why I chose that as a location. Plus, um, you know, nobody really... Well, getting an early crack at doing the uh, the foundry, working in the foundry, it was you know fun to pick a location that obviously hadn't been touched all that much yet. Mm. Well, we know we know he mentioned it in a prior episode. Huli is a Huli's a fan of the loonies, so <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, so Stilly, can you talk to us uh, about the development of this product? You sort of touched base on that there. So from from concept to the final product how long did it take for you for it to come together and and what were some of the challenges associated with with designing the adventure so this was actually a pretty big challenge because it came i'd have to sit down and think about exactly how long it took but it wasn't very long because maybe a couple of months Mm -hmm. because you know we didn't have that much time uh when uh ffg contacted uh me and 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 you guys Mm. about um about the foundry uh, I had already decided to do my other product, the Instant Adversaries product, first, mm-hmm. because that was a idea that I had sort of knocking around for a long time of how of of wanting to do something like that and never quite at the time figuring out what that would be. But with the Foundry coming up, I was like, okay, well, I could really get in there and develop that, and it really right. uh, came out 
the way the way I really wanted to. It was really nice to develop that through. But you know, that was not you know that was a it was an interesting product and potentially you know useful to a lot of people. Uh, but I also wanted to do uh, do an adventure and plus again being having the opportunity to sort of get in on the ground floor. Um, having had that opportunity on DMs Guild, I saw how big of an opportunity that could be. So I definitely wanted to <clears throat> have something more than just the uh, the Instant Adversaries. Mm. And so uh, after Instant Adversaries, um, I wanted to go ahead and do an, an, an adventure. Um, and of course, uh, that meant either something generic. I wasn't prepared to do a, create my own setting, um, not in that time frame. Mm. So it meant either Terranoth or Android. And Obviously, I do a lot of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do fantasy. I've done fantasy for D&D. But I already worked with Android on uh, in the Shadows of the Beanstalk, so I already knew that area. So Plus, it was an area I had a lot of fun with, with the moon. And so that sort of gave me my starting point. And then it was a matter of, okay, what do I do? Because I wanted to highlight certain areas of the moon and wanted to... Um, ha- well, I had this idea that... Actually, the original title I was thinking for this was uh, "Hostile Takeover," <laughs> and once once I started looking into that, I, I knew that was a pretty generic name in a lot of ways, and so so not the power play isn't, but when I started looking around, that that name had been used for some other things, and I was like, well, I want to be a little more unique, and so power play, albeit still fairly generic, um, still got the idea across. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea was that this hostile takeover of, okay, what happens if the players get a chance to really get deep into this corporate uh, struggle between some factions within one company? And what if they get the opportunity to become kingmakers, essentially, mm-hmm. if things work out correctly? And that's that was sort of, that was the genesis of it. And then uh, from there, started developing just different ideas about, okay... What does this company do? Um, it's on the moon. Uh, do I want to use a company that's already there? Probably not. I get more more flexibility if I do my own, and uh, sort of settle on the on the cybernetics because again, uh, you know, the cyberpunk kind of thing. So you know, it was it was fun to be able to sort of pull those elements together. Um, and then once once I had that, once I had the, I developed. I don't want to get into too much spoiler material, I guess, but <laughs> once I developed the two different sides and what was influencing each side and how sort of the some of the criminal activities were working, that started that helped me put together the storyline of of here's how the players learn about what it gets first get involved in it, here's the things that they learn and here's how what might send them into the next adventure hmm. uh, next section. And then, then also the, you know, the last episode or last time I was on, we were talking about set pieces. Well, I had this idea for this pretty big set piece for the last bit, you know, the big confrontation scene, right, where you implement the the quote power play, hmm. and mm-hmm. took a very different approach on that than I have on previous uh, previous products. So, mm-hmm. um, but then. So not only did I have to develop all that and write it all, and write it all, mm. on top of that being the foundry, you know, I had to unless I was going to pay somebody else to do all the layout, mm. um, I had to do all that too, which I don't normally have to do um, <laughs> as a freelancer. You, you, you just write the um, content and give them to people right. who do worry about give all that. Somebody else, and a year or so later, it comes out. 
just happens, I guess. <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, so I had a crash course in InDesign, which I do a little bit of um, for my uh, used often on it at at work, but never to this level. Um, so I dove right in to to that, and uh, I had to do that anyway for the for the Instant Adversaries book. But obviously, since it was Android, all the pages it looked. Uh, you know, look more like the Android stuff, and so I couldn't reuse the generic pages I already already had from the template for the. You know, so I had to do my own stuff, and then eventually you run into things like, uh, you know, okay, the art art I got a break on because I got to use Fancy Flights art that they released. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I definitely took full advantage of the fact that I had first crack at that, or at least <laughs> the we had first crack as the. But when it came down to the cover for instant adversaries, I'd found a cover that. Uh, I found a piece of art that I really liked and was really inexpensive uh, as a piece of stock art. Mm-hmm. I, I really struggled finding anything that was going to work for power, the cover of PowerPlay. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, of course, ended up making the cover myself, which, of course, led to a whole lot more time than I didn't really <laughs> originally plan on. So, yeah, my free time was consumed a lot by just powering through all of this mm-hmm. uh, to create the create the product and get it you know edited and ready and up there all that stuff um but it was fun and i liked the the way it came out and uh yeah just on that could i say that as far as the the layout that you've you've done if if you've done this yourself sterling well done yeah it's amazing it's great it's it's uh it's and there's there's a particular part of the layout that I'll, I'll, i'm gonna give you as many gold stars as i possibly can because it's something that obviously we don't see much in the way of adventures that have been produced by fantasy flight games but it's something that you've chosen to do and we might talk about this a little bit later on but actual computer systems and how they're laid out, amazing. It's really well done. And you've got a couple of them in there. So, um, you know, we won't talk about it because it might be, you know, filling into spoiler territory. But yeah, uh, I can talk yeah. a little bit about them. I mean, I did decide to, yeah, to include basically the systems for the different areas where somebody was likely to be poking around in. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say some of that's relying on, like, experience from like Star Wars adventures where people are trying to slice into control panels whenever they see one. And, oh, uh, players that. Nah, they never do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, well, and knowing that, you know, slicing, or slicing, I'm already talking Star Wars, hacking um, is, can be a big part of, of, of an Android game. I wanted to definitely provide information, more information about what was out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way FFG has set it up with their different, uh, the different schemes of, of authenticators and barrier ice and, and stuff like that. It was fun to sort of develop those. And it's something that I think the GMs can get a lot of use out of. Mm. And yet it's still not something that there's a couple, there's, I guess there's one that's pretty big, but the others are fairly small. Uh, so they're not taking up a ton of, a ton of space. So this actually leads into one of the things that we wanted to talk about. And, and we may have already answered the question is really what, makes this offering different from other adventures we're seeing on the Genesis Foundry. And, you know, from your perspective, I mean, what can you tell us about that? And at the very least, it sounds like we have some awesome computer options here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will admit I haven't exactly gone and 
looked at detail. I have seen them, but uh, uh, of some of the others. But um, I think there's a couple things. One is that I did turn end up turning it into a mini campaign instead of a straight up adventure. Hmm. And basically, as I was, this goes back to that development process. Of as I'm working through it, I'm like, okay, I've got a bigger story here that I want to, I want to tell. Is it really just one adventure or not? And I was bouncing the ideas off 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 my wife, and she said, "Yeah, no, that's more than an adventure." <laughs> and uh, and so I went with the uh, sort of mini campaign uh, aspect. So what I've done is um, each there's three sec- three parts, and each part has three encounters. So it's basically split up into three essentially adventures with a couple of interludes in between. So you could end up with five different adventures, or at least if you really condensed them all, you might do them in five sessions. But um, there's notes in here about uh, giving me GM ideas on how to expand it into even a bigger campaign. Mm. So there's that. The other element is actually, and again, trying to stay out of spoiler territory, but (laughs) the last, uh, the last section uh, where the quote power play actually is set up to occur. It's, there's a lot of skill checks involved. Um, and there's a lot of things that can happen. And so actually going back to some of the adventure seed ideas we talked about previously, these are all, these are elements of a set piece. And so they're with a suggested skill difficulty and then possible results. Mm. And so I've got three, basically three different types of power plays anticipating how the PCs might approach the situation. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'll be very it's pretty it's experimental on my part. I haven't really done something quite like this before, and so I'll be really interested to see over time what people think about it, uh, because it's because I knew this final encounter would be have a lot of um, unpredictable elements in it by this point of the adventure. That I wanted to give the the GM here are the basics of things that could happen during this scene, mm. and without. Um, completely laying out the entire encounter like you might um, in another adventure. Mm. Uh, the, uh, I will say the I was a little, little bit inspired by this, uh, by the uh, if you've seen the uh, Outer Rim, uh, Star Wars Outer Rim board game that Fancy Flight actually put out um, earlier this year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they have certain what they call jobs in there where you're a smuggler and you're trying to do something and where they had on the card, they basically have a series of skill challenges, essentially. They were line by line. And I was, at the time, you know, I'd, I'd seen that and I was working on this. I was like, huh, I wonder if you could adapt that to a bigger kind of element and seem to kind of sync up with this, these ideas I was having about how to manage this final scene. So it's much, I mean, where they, where they were literally fitting into one card, one line on, or several lines on one single card, I was taking up pages, but uh, <laughs> and with more detail. <laughs> but that's kind of where the, the it seems like a, a mechanic that could work. And plus, you know, we've already got skill challenges of various kinds of different RPGs. So mm. it's not totally foreign to RPGs by any means. Yep. But it did serve as sort of that spark of an, of a, of an approach. Because mm. to, to have it broken down into the three sections, uh, you know, again, we, I'm not going to go into specifics, but to to have, you know, the task or the, the incident that's occurred, then the suggested difficulty for that, and then the results of that is just, it's inspiring design. 
and I would encourage anybody that uh, that does create their own adventures to perhaps adapt uh, adopt something similar to that uh, because it, it makes it nice and easily laid out for people. It's a visual thing, so you know people yeah. are going to be able to find it quicker. Uh, but yeah, yeah inspiring. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah, it's basically set up in a, each one set up in a table. So you've got tasks in one column, mm-hmm. or a task or an argument you're trying to make in one column. You've got the su- suggested difficulty versus a particular entity in this in this uh, scenario, mm-hmm. um, where it's actually got the actual you know skill checks, whether they're hard, daunting, whatever, mm-hmm. and sometimes uh, notes about bonuses or penalties. Mm-hmm. And then the the last column is yeah the possible effects, the results, and the GM can, of course, use these or ignore them if they don't make sense in whatever crazy plan the, uh, the uh, <laughs> PCs are trying to uh, trying to uh, <laughs> carry out. The other thing is, is it's all set up as a, as a big social encounter. Mm. Um, it can go into combat. Combat can certainly come into it mm. if things get released <laughs> wild. <laughs> um, but it is originally at least set up, and there's a big Sidebar talks about giving advice on maybe how to approach this as a as this big social encounter because mm. it certainly touch base uh, touches base on something that we talked about uh, when we were last talking to you, where you uh, suggest options for triumphs and despairs and, and things like that, and it covers off on that really really well in a succinct format. So uh, so yeah, excellent. Yes, and then trying to get. Going back to the, uh, the the layout and all that, get working with the uh, the table <laughs> format and uh, getting everything to fit in the table. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was it was funny. And then somewhere after that, um, I think Sam at uh, FFG had tweeted out or made a comment somewhere along the way of, "Well, maybe I can make the." You know, he he was clearly working on some other product and trying to fit something into a table. He's like, ah, maybe I could take the font down another half a point. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, and, and yeah, the other, so, someone else from FFG is like, stop it. <laughs> and I can certainly relate with my eyesight getting, you know, older. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but I, I felt his pain. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I could have broken the, 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 uh, the template, tables and blow them up bigger or something like that but uh, i think it actually worked out okay in the end but yeah. i didn't want to start oh yeah it's fantastic so and that, that goes for the table as well okay so you talked to us about the development of this and and kind of what inspired it to begin with to kind of round this out could you give us a would you be willing to give us a sneak peek of something in this product that is unique that we won't see anywhere else on the foundry Oh, I guess I jumped ahead too far. <laughs> Def- definitely, definitely that last scene. Okay. And, and the way that's put together, that's definitely, definitely unique. Um, beyond that, uh, the um, you were also the foundry, so you're not talking about just Android here. You're talking about everything. Mm. Um, yeah. or, or as you see fit. This is just, I mean, you, you know. What's, I mean, from an Android what's, what's standpoint, cool? obviously it's on the moon, so that's pretty different. Mm. Um, and the moon is a great that enough setting. Yes, it is. <laughs> so that's fantastic. <laughs> okay, so what's next for you and the Foundry? If you're willing to talk about it, is there anything you're working on for the Foundry that you can whet our appetites with? Uh, yes. Um, I've actually been working on <laughs> uh, something for 
the, the last uh, inten- more a little more intently the last two three weeks, and of course this is in my spare time, so it's not like it's been constant. Hmm. But um, so uh, you people may or may not know I've did I've done uh, work with the DMs Guild, oh, yeah. and and uh, one of the products I have on there is called uh, DM Con- Combat Tabs, and basically it's an it's a way of tracking initiative mm-hmm. and track and with Dungeons and Dragons you've got a lot of conditions, a lot of spell effects. You got, you know, you can have a lot going on at one time. Mm. And trying to track all that stuff, you know, I started using this sort of system. It, it's, you know, they've had this. Some people have used index cards for a long time to track initiative on their GM screen. Mm. Uh, this sort of takes it to the next level with different tab, different tabs that you can. You hang up ones for the PCs and the monsters, and then you hang hang these different condition markers on them as you're as you're running the, the game. Mm. And I was doing this just for my own home game. And then when DMs Guild came along, I was like, hey, I can adapt this to put up on DMs Guild. I've already, you know, I've already created it basically for my own use. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, then once I got into it, it was like, well, then I had to account for people running the game mm-hmm. differently than I would mm. and making sure <laughs> they had the right resources for that. This game would be great if it wasn't for the players, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, other, D- yeah, other DMs. So, so yes. basically, I'm doing a version of of that same idea for for Genesis, and um, you know, a lot of people use uh, markers or whatever, because in Genesis, obviously, the system is very different from D and D. In Genesis, you have the basically NPC and PC slots, mm. and so if that's as far as you want to take it, I will have elements for that. But if you want to, if you want to take it up a step, I'm going to have cards in there again where, for NPCs and the PCs. And on the back side of the card, that's on the GM side, you can note down the four derived you know, stats, the soak, wounds, strain, and defense. Mm. And then I'll have tabs for, you know, hey, this character's getting a plus one boost die. Uh, this character's, whatever it is, critically injured. Mm. Uh, and then another tab for showing whose turn it is. And so there's kind of about three, mm. about two or three ways you can use this. And you can use all of them, or you can just use the PC one, PC and NPC ones, not worry about all the rest. And since it's a PDF, you can print out whatever pages you want. On top of that, it will also uh, what's it would have been up already if I was just doing a Genesis version. But of course, I'm doing a Genesis ver- one styled for Genesis, one styled for Android, one styled for Terranoth, and uh, maybe one or two others. Nice, cool, and so, nice. Uh, I'm also not making any guarantees, but any for if there are, I might update it for future settings that may come about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that will entirely depend on how well it's selling and how much time I have. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but no, because DM tabs has actually been a pretty good seller for me. Not like extravagant by any means, but but a, been a pretty good one. Hmm. And so it seems to be something that people will like and and I think and so by providing the different styles of, of these tabs I will admit I thought it was going to be much easier to <laughs> to make once I had one set I thought okay well, I can change the font the background some colors and move right along <laughs> yeah that's great except of course using the actual fonts if you discover things like the proportions of the, of the fonts for the generic Genesis book versus the Android fonts are different enough you can't just change them you gotta fiddle with them mm. uh, and i'm sure i'll find the same I'm, I'm in the middle of the android stuff right now Terranoth will be next and yeah so will this be 
know exactly when this will be out. Uh, you know, I hope fairly soon, but uh, just kind of depends on how much time I have and how long it takes to fiddle around with this. Uh, because <laughs> one of the other elements I had done on the DMs tab was also have a cardstock box you could print out, cut out, and basically glue together, tape together to store all these things in. And uh, I'll probably have to do that for this as well. Mm. I love papercraft. <laughs> <laughs> well, and one of the other things that, and I probably will do this. Uh, one of the other things I had on DMs Guild uh, for the combat tabs was with D&D, there are so many different condition markers that when I was just using them in my home game, I discovered really quickly, if you can't grab the one you need immediately, hmm. if you have to stop and search for it, it kills the game or you just stop using them. So you have to have a, I have to have a system in there where somebody can f- pull it out and find it. And the way I did it on DMs Guild was there's actually a piece of, there's actually a template in there you can cut out and hang it from your GM screen with the tabs hanging off of it. Cool. So I will probably try that with this one, um, mm. but we'll see. Every time I add one of these ideas, it just takes longer. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a, you're a machine, man. You're an absolute machine. Well, one of the fun things, of course, about this too is like, am I going to get it out there before somebody else gets some sort of initiative, yeah. initiative system out there? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Not we'll to see. say you can't have more than one, because obviously that's if you look at DMs Guild, there's several different approaches to different yeah. things like this. But. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you for joining us today and talking about PowerPlay. This this truly is one of the more interesting and expansive products out there. Um, Android is an incredible setting, and if you guys are really into Android, you you've got to get PowerPlay. The the sheer amount of content and and uh, I mean, it's not just an adventure module. As we said, it is a mini campaign. The new things it adds to the game um, are incredible, and the fact that it the, the fact that it is a Looney themed <laughs> campaign. In I and of itself, it I is. I endorse this wondrous. product. <laughs> <laughs> so be well, sure to head to the Foundry guys and check it out. Sterling, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been fun. Sterling's always amazing to talk to, and I love the man. Well, that's all I can say. <laughs> So. <laughs> he's he is he's absolutely amazing. It was great to have him back on the show. Great and, to have him back. Uh, great to have him back. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be running that game, no matter what. Um, uh, at some point down the track, uh, because yeah, it's it's really good. If you haven't downloaded it yet, please do so. Um, and uh, you know, it's not all that expensive at all, and it is a fantastic ride. So, uh, so yeah, definitely reading reading anything from Sterling is like a master course. Yeah, uh, you know. And and so just just do it for nothing else. Absolutely. Then you will learn so much about how an adventure should be written yes. to be engaging and exciting. And uh, yeah, it's 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 really really good. Exactly. All right, oh. we sh- we've got some questions, Chris. So oh my my gosh, do we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, we do. We should uh, we should maybe uh, take a look at them and uh, flatten them out and uh, maybe get the kinks out um, in Under the Hammer. Under the Hammer. And welcome to Under the Hammer, the segment where we will answer your games and rules questions about the Genesis role-playing game uh, as it impacts both rules and content creation and, of course, play. Now, we are continuing to get a lot of questions from our listeners, so thank you all for those who are firing off, off at us. 
uh, we absolutely love going through them. And uh, you know, if we if we need to answer them straight away because it's uh, it's time imperative, uh, we will uh, we will get onto that. But um, you know, please keep them coming if they're uh, if you do have one, and it can be about anything to do with the game as well as obviously about creation as well. Uh, for your documents, and we've got a few of those tonight as well, Chris. So um, should we yeah. get on to our first question? Yeah. Uh, it comes to us via email from Trey Lewis, who says, Howdy, Chris and Hooley. Hey. Howdy. <laughs> Howdy, partner. Um, <clears throat> he says, I'm currently working on a setting for Genesis themed very loosely off of the RPG 7th C. Great RPG. Yeah, indeed. Um uh, but I'm more than just stealing the concept of pirates and musketeers that can sometimes use magic. Hmm. I'm I'm working on my setting, and I'm far from getting it playtested and polished, but I realize I'm at almost 175 pages on my first draft. What? And I'm still working on it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I have over 200 talents to choose wow. from for players. So my question is this. How much is too much for a supplement? At what point is my little indie module too long? And at what point will people say, too long, did not read, will not play? Uh, I realize this is a question of personal taste, but I would love some outside input. Thanks. Wow. <laughs> well, well, dude, at least you're right. Okay, for, okay, I got to say this, Huli. Mm. You know what the hardest part about being a writer is? Writing. Writing. <laughs> yep. And, and clearly, Trey doesn't have a problem with that. So, listen, none of this is wasted work, brother, because it is it is it is practice. You're getting your writing brain into the freaking gym and doing some curls and some bench presses. And what else? I don't. I I'm not the man who goes to the gym. I have no idea what else they do in the gym. Nor am I. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah yes. they do. They do that stuff with the with the with the Nordic track. You know? yeah, anyway, <laughs> good on you. Good on you for writing, man, and, and getting it out there. But mm. Huli, dude, I mean, let's talk about this. 175 pages. Yeah, that's a lot of pages. That's um, a lot. 200 talents. Look, uh, let's look at the uh, at the setting books that come out from FFG. Yes, they are <laughs> 400 pages. But there's a lot of content there that has developed over a long period of time uh, with both Shadow of the Beanstalk as well as Terranoth. You know, I was trying to calculate it the other day as far as um, Realms of Terranoth goes, and there is something like 30 different games that FFG has released at some point or another over the course of the existence of the company that they can draw from, and they've only managed to get 400 pages but that also includes, obviously, the 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 stats and, and whatever else, and that's that's a book that costs twenty four dollars um, on Drive Through RPG or, or whatever it is, and not everybody goes out and gets that because sometimes people much prefer to have the 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 dead tree version, um, and they can't afford to to go and do that. So, but knowing the the prices, and certainly I'm not going down the path of of price setting because that's illegal um but you know 25 dollars for uh, for all of that content is a lot of content that you're gonna have to be charging a lot less than that so if you're happy to to go ahead and do that and be prepared to take the hit but remember your time 
is worth money. And this is something that a lot of people forget. They put in a lot of effort, which is great. But let's face it that the time and energy that you're spending on a product is still has to be recouped somehow. And as you said to Katrina in the last episode, you know, in earning your 20s of dollars <laughs> from doing this, you know, you're not necessarily going to be able to, to make that back. But that's not the only point. The, the other point is 175, 175 pages of, of first draft. The question you've got to be asking is, have you actually given that to anybody else that really knows what they're doing in the editing realm um, to see what needs to be cut out? Because you can almost guarantee, and I, it happens to me all the time, that you know I send off, if I've got a manuscript and I send it off to someone to have a bit of a read, it will come back with red lines all the way through it to basically go, you've said this here and you've said this back here. Um, time and energy are being spent by people to read all of this content. Um, so it has to be really succinct. It has to be really it can't it can't fluff on, basically. So, do you, do you know what scared me about Trey's email? What's that? Two hundred talents. It, <laughs> it wasn't the hundred seventy-five pages. It was the two hundred talents. Right, Trey. A two hundred page setting guide is not entirely unreasonable, hmm. but you need to understand where the bulk of that two hundred pages needs to be. It needs to be in fluff. Yes. And that's a good thing. It needs the bulk of it needs to be in world building, mm. NPC creation, gazetteer style descriptions of locations and micro adventures and seeds and things like that. Mm. And I wanna I wanna pull Tyrannoth as an example here. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now Tyrannoth is is two hundred and fifty page setting roughly. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you get into the guts of it, there are roughly 60 pages devoted to actual mechanics. Mm. I'm talking about all of the species, mm. all of the setting-specific careers, the entire freaking seven-page section devoted to heroic abilities, an entirely new mechanic, mm. okay? Mm. Um Five pages for skills. Um, only only freaking eight pages for new talents, man. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, when you talk about weapons, armor, and crafting, that's five pages for all of it. Mm. And then, you know, uh, a couple pages for magic, a few pages for gear and service. They got six pages for gear and attachments. Mm. Um, another couple pages for magic items. And then the whole mechanics of, of crafting. And then the specialty rules for magic of of you know Minara and runebound shards and mm. and you know spirit speaking elven magic the whole thing that goes into all of that that I just said is roughly 60 pages of content in this 250 page book mm. all the rest of it is storytelling world building mm. okay so it 175 pages doesn't scare me man 200 talents freaking scares me. <laughs> your, your players are not going to go through that. No. They're just not. Mm. You, you, need, you need to consolidate and cut and also realize that you're not making a unique game. You're making a supplement, which yep. means that the core talents in the core rulebook should be the primary thing you're relying on. Mm. 
obviously any any setting worth its salt is going to offer dozens of new talents mm. as any good setting should mm. but but that's you know they're, they're going to be setting specific uh, that's that that's the one thing i would make for you man it's not about length it's about length of specific areas of content because let's also talk about another realistic fact you got players out there and gms that will spend i mean 30 40 50 dollars on a on a physical paper book and they will never read anything but the mechanical stuff mm. I, I can tell you for a fact there are there are players who buy star wars books they're like oh yeah this is really cool that art's really pretty what are the new species what are the new <laughs> career archetypes what is the new equipment that's all they care about yep and that's all they'll ever read yeah so y- you need to focus on making that the succinct and as Huli, what did you say earlier? Huli efficient. I think is yep. the word. One of the words yep. you used mm-hmm. um, as, as possible. Yep. That's, that's my feedback on this mm. question. Cause look, the other thing to take into consideration as well is you, you talk about the, the fluff versus um, mechanics content. And a lot of the, 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 the mechanics we'll use that in inverted commas that we see, especially when it comes to equipment, it's actually mostly fluff. There is only really yeah. a line of stats, and that's it. And you may have a sentence or two because a particular piece of equipment does something unique that it either breaks the rules or it's it's just something that, that is specific due to reloads or whatever. For the rest of the time, it's all spent in describing how that fits into the world how it's used by the people of the world, um, how it's used every day. So, and it's all about fluff. And again, it's about the setting and how that the GM can pick up this this book and actually delve into the world that it's surrounding um, to to run their games in. So, um, yeah, yep. something to consider there. Uh, but and if that's, it's all mechanics. That's, that's, mm. <laughs> I mean, but you're holy, holy's right. That's where that's where the bulk should be, Trey. Hmm. And the one hybrid exception to that, when you're talking about length of content, if you released a 400 page supplement and 200 pages of that was threats and stat blocks for threats. Mm hmm. Nobody would uh, have an issue with that <laughs> <laughs> because it's um, something that they can anyone can then use and reskin. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm. So if you really want to add page count, that's another good recommendation. Or if you're worried about page count, don't worry about threats. The more adversaries and threat stat blocks you can put into a supplement, the better received that will be no one ever no one in their mo- right mind has ever said yeah there's too many adversary options in this <laughs> it's no it's uh, true I, I mean any any supplement i've seen supplements where a quarter of the book is devoted to adversaries and people will still bitch and complain about the fact that they don't have enough pre-made stat blocks mm. okay agreed um you know cut back some talents add in some npcs brother mm-hmm. mm, look one thing that i am going to mention very quickly because of my experiences in the past with Pathfinder that they would always bring out a supplement every month. And I mean, that they have a huge, it's like they've got a machine of people that are, are putting out content for, uh, for Pathfinder. 
Uh, certainly with first edition, I, I haven't been following second edition. But with first edition, every supplement that they would have would always have one or two talents. Now, this is just one or two talents, okay, or uh, uh, feats. Those feats broke the rules on some occasions because they weren't play tested properly. You're talking 200 talents. Now, unless you've got an absolute monster amount of people that can go through, and I know that I've done it myself with with playtesting for FFG, they don't have a massive amount of new talents because they, they want us to test how those talents interact with other talents. And if they don't work, they sometimes remove them completely or rewrite them completely. Because uh, not everyone, especially the writers, that are, are sort of because of the way that things are done without looking too much behind the, the curtain. But with the way that those are done, they are done sort of in a bubble. And there are so many talents in Star Wars that you can't keep track of everything. But that's what playtesters are for. And that's the reason why you have numerous groups of playtesters to be able to help look at all of those talents and go, that works, that doesn't. But if you've got 200 talents, I can almost guarantee you that there are going to be at least half of them that are going to break the game. And, yeah. as, a, and as a GM, you'd be go, looking at that going, I never want my players to see that. <laughs> or be just with a big black pen, just going, nope, not that one, not that one, and just go, yeah. these ones would be fine. So yeah. that's that's a really great that's a really great point. How are you even going to play to that? Yeah. I'm sorry if I if I was playtesting and somebody said, "Can you please t- playtest the setting? It has 200 talents." I would laugh <laughs> and I would never playtest it. No, that's exactly right. So the if I mean if you want to look at other settings, and this is what I would highly recommend doing, is the settings um, like Scott Zumwalt's, um his um, something strange that's setting. Uh, you look at Gums, uh, the in- Inquisition, or Keith's uh, ready, uh, ready fight. All of those have got talents in them, but they're or, or my or my familiar, or familiar setting. Sense, my apologies, um, or familiar setting. There aren't a lot of talents. No. You know, there are some, and they're very, very setting specific, but there aren't many. And the reason is, is that as I said before is that playtesting them is a nightmare. So if you want to have 200 talents, great. Can I suggest doing it over 20 supplements and have 10 talents in each supplement? So that as you're playtesting, you can get them to do that and then keep the same playtesters so that they can say, yeah, this talent that that you put in in book three doesn't work in uh, this talent in book 10. That's my recommendation. Anywhere between 10 to 20 new talents is what I would be considering appropriate per setting. I, I would agree. I, I limit it. I try to limit it to a, at most a couple dozen. That's it. Mm, absolutely. That's good. But I hope that helps, man. Mm. <clears throat> good on you for writing. But think, think, dude. Cons- consolidate. Yeah. Consolidate. Consolidate. And and focus your page count on GM resources, world building, and fluff. That's where you should focus the bulk of your count. Agreed. Agreed. And that may be something that we will discuss uh, at a later stage in a, in a future topic about world building. And I know that there are people uh, within the industry that have approached us uh, about doing segments in, in that sort of regard. So um, look out for that. But um, yeah, in the meantime, just take our advice. All right. So for our next question, Joshua Taylor, um, big fan of the podcast. I've spoken to Joshua numerous times. 
Um, he asks on Facebook, when making a new setting, clearly, clearly we want the reader to have the core Genesis rulebook. So basic stuff like explaining dice mechanics or the core magic system don't need to be or should be covered in the book, nor can they be. I'll get onto that in a tick. But what about uh, the current two published setting books? For example, if my setting has magic, isn't uh, better to not assume that they have Terranoth and make sure to include some of the more generic talent concepts like signature spell or just say they have to have access to Terranoth and mention signature spell in a sidebar or something like that. Uh, another example, say my system is a hard science fiction uh, setting Why, uh, while the core rulebook uh, has hacking rules, Shadow of the Beanstalk delved further into them with ice and icebreakers and some more info. Should my setting book uh, re-deliver f- that further or just say refer to Shadows of the Beanstalk? Mm. It's a long question, pretty simple answer. <laughs> Very simple answer. And and as Joshua said, no, you, you not only should you not, you cannot, as per the agreement, uh, republish anything that is in an existing book in terms of core mechanics. Exactly. You can't. Yep. Um, now, things get loosey-goosey with Terranoth and, and Shadow of the Beanstalk Android, um, but you still can't republish things. Um, at, at all. I think the heart of his question is really whether, you know, obviously you assume they're going to have the core rule book, but, but should you assume they have the other two? Mm. I mean, Huli, I, I, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, but we've, we've had, we've had similar discussions about this, obviously with the first two guests we ever had on our first mm. two episodes, we, we kind of talked about this and this came up to a strong degree. Yep. And those two FFG employees basically told us all, <laughs> um, two very important things. Yep. Uh, one if it exists somewhere else, reference it. Yep. Okay? Reference it. Say, you know, yay, you can find this in Shadow of the Beanstalk page, blah, 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 blah. You can find this in Terranoth page, blah, 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 blah. Um, here's the bottom line, man. If somebody's going to be buying something off the foundry, they're going to have the splats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. That that's Know, know your customer base. They're going to have the splats, okay? Yep. Yep. Um, number two is... Why recreate something that they could purchase elsewhere? I mean, like that was the that was, I think that was something that was brought up by by one of our guests, where they basically said, "Look, if I'm spending money on your supplement, I don't want to get content that I may already have in mm. Tiranoth or Shadow of the Beanstalk. I, I, I'm sorry, I paid you money. I want something new. Mm. Come up with something new or different, or reference the other book. Yep. That's the short answer. Absolutely. Look to to use an example of FFG's own product. Let's look at Star Wars." When mm-hmm. they would duplicate species across lines, people would complain. And all that that was is a couple of paragraphs about that particular species because of their stats, and they weren't always the same, but that's a side issue altogether. But the the issue is, is that people don't like, as you say, Chris, people don't like spending money on stuff that they've already got. They feel ripped off. So just don't do it. Something to consider, though, um, legally, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but this is what I've learned from my own research, is that it's impossible to copyright numbers. So where you've got a stat block of a weapon, for example, that is just numbers, you can't copyright that, um, and you can have a dagger with all of the same content as far as the uh, what abilities that they can do. What is copyrightable 
is the write-up for that particular weapon. And if you look at Terranoth, for example, it has a stat block for the weapon in the table, and then further on, it gives a description with some stuff. You can't use that description. And I've asked that question directly of FFG, and they have quite unequivocally said, nope, you cannot. But if you are going to do something like that, and your that particular item is used differently in your setting, then r- make a write-up using uh, new terminology, new rules, new uh, new fluff that is going to be setting specific. But if it yes. isn't, um, if it if a dagger is a dagger is a dagger, well, don't repeat it. <laughs> it's pointless. If you wanted to do a list of all of the equipment, um, you might have a sidebar that says that it can also be used here. Um, or you might, and, and I've asked FFG and they've said this is okay in certain circumstances, um, is that if you've got a knife and people can use that in your setting, you can devote a line to using the same stat because that can't be copyrightable. But yeah. if you're then going to describe that, um, which I wouldn't recommend doing, um, that, uh, yeah, make sure that you're using new, new terminology and new prose. Well, and this is this this is excellent advice you've given. Now, it is worth noting, let's talk about the use case for it specifically. And remember, it is exclusive to equipment, mm. okay? Mm. The reason you would even want to do this is because you want to include a table in your setting that says, look, these are the available weapons, mm. Which means you could bring in weapons from the core book or other supplements as necessary in the table. Mm. Just leave the write-up blank. The best way to handle this that I've seen, and I actually really appreciate it because I don't feel like I'm rebuying content Mm. and it's still all perfectly safe, is they'll add an asterisk to the item name or add a special indicator in another column on the table that tells you where the weapon can be located. Right. All right. Mm-hmm. So if like, and, and that maybe maybe it's not, it's in another column on the table, or it, you use asterisks and footnotes in the table itself to say, you know, th- th- this, you know, uh, you know, one asterisk, this item can be located in the core in the Genesis core rulebook. Yep. You know, two asterisks, this this item can be located in, uh, you know, realms of Terranoth, mm. and. That way, you've got a complete table for easy reference without having to slog through three different books yep. plus your setting supplement. But you, again, just don't write an entry for it if it already exists in another book. Mm, exactly. And I mean, let's face it. Terranoth does it itself. So does Shadow of the Beanstalk. They have yeah. table after table listing what talents can be used from the core rulebook. They don't go and relist the entire talent because they assume that you already have it. Um, that uh, they list C core rulebook. You know the same sort of thing applies. Um, that uh, yeah, just reference it to to another rulebook. And the other thing to take into consideration as well when it comes to talents in particular, and it kind of refers back to uh, the previous question as well, is that not every talent needs to be used in every setting as well. Try to keep to the core rulebook if you can, mm-hmm. or maybe the core rulebook and one setting book. Uh, you know, they're, yes, they've only got two at the moment, but we do have uh, we do have Keyforge, uh, which is coming up as well. So, you know, which is going to be, uh, I guess, more of the the sort of sci-fi crazy elements. So, um, you know, just try to stick to the core rulebook if you can, and maybe look at one supplement, but don't go outside that. So, yeah. 
That's my advice, anyway. Good advice. And our last question, Chris. Yeah, we got a question from Reddit uh, from mm. Dollface Killer. <laughs> um, Love it. <laughs> simple question with a kind of simple, not really answer. Um, he says this, how easy and balanced would it be to kit bash the Genesis splats together as a single fantasy slash cyberpunk setting a la Shadowrun? How cross compatible slash combinable are the character creation rules found in each? Would the character options found in one completely overpower the other? Does either introduce any mechanics that messes with the other? Good Woof. question. <laughs> well. Can I say the first thing that you need to do is go to the Genesis Foundry and there is already a supplement that exists which combines the two. Uh, you can download Mega City Magic, which uh, we spoke about it in one of our earlier episodes. It's uh, it was one it wasn't it didn't come out straight away uh, when Foundry first uh, was released. Uh, it was a little way down the track, but it's really really good. Um, it is Shadowrun with all of the serial numbers filed off. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's really quite good um, of combining the two of them. It's got um, uh, to to look at the write up now. It's got uh, it's a hundred percent Genesis core rulebook compatible. Great, I'm glad. Um, it's it's also um, it uses the Android setting predominantly. Um, but uh, it's got character creation paths that combine seven character heritages. Heritages uh, and three approaches to transhumanity. Um, 11 new careers, um, classic cyberpunk cybernetics as well. So it's got a whole heap of stuff that, that's there. Um, it's got magical threats, it's got adversaries. So if you wanted to do it if, for no other reason other than, as you mentioned before, Chris, adversaries, uh, it's really good for that sort of thing. Um, you know, it talks about mega city, uh, mega cities under, under city. Uh, ruled by dragons uh, that uh, that run global corporations. So uh, yeah, it's Shadowrun, but with the the serial numbers uh, scraped off. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely go and take a look at that. That's that's pretty much the the main answer that I'm going to give. Um, but uh, you know, <laughs> are th are there any other major issues uh, between yes. the two of them? Yeah. To be honest, no. Um, I say that with sort of, uh, you know, uh, look, I've not actually done it, so I can't actually say whether it's 100% <laughs> compatible, but, um, look, magic certainly is. Magic Ma certainly. Yes. yes. So I, I have messed around with this. Okay. It, it, it's, 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 it's been, it's been a mess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So let's, let's start at the high level. Look, for, uh, the answer to your question is if you don't if you don't want to use Mega City Magic, if you want to do this by literally jamming Android and Tyranoth together, you will be ninety percent successful. Ninety mm. percent. Let's talk about because because yeah, dude, the core the core rules like look, we like uh, can a uh, can a, can a Tyranoth species or archetype work in Android setting or Android species archetype work in, in Terranoth in, or, or can they, can they mix match into one world? Yes, absolutely. No issues right there. Um, can the talents work? Of course they can work. Um, you know, equipment, all that here, here's, here's where you're going to encounter issues and here's what you need to think about. Um, first and foremost is obviously skills. You need to realize if you do this, you're going to have a very large skill list for your players. Yep. Okay. 
very large. There are things that are essential in a fantasy setting and essential in a cyberpunk setting that are not there between the two. Um, there's a handful of skills, really. But the bottom line is that the experience point economy that's used at character creation assumes a skill list of a certain size. Mm-hmm. If you start increasing that size to a certain degree, you start messing with things. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're going to want to do whatever you can if you do this to try and combine certain skills. Okay. Um, whenever possible. Um uh, the exception to that would be magic. You can introduce magic straight away without having to worry about that issue. And the magic skills are kind of their own bag and their own thing. Yep. The other thing that you're going to want to avoid, and I do say this from personal experience, is the heroic, the wonderful heroic abilities from Tyranoth mm-hmm. belong in Tyranoth. Yes. Um, if you're going to do a mashup or a kit bash, I would not recommend bringing the heroic abilities in. They are designed to interact very specifically with Tyranoth-focused skills, Tyranoth-focused talents, and other abilities in terms of their balance and their overall usage. Um, Could you go through the effort of creating heroic abilities for Android? Sure, but I think (laughs) that's a lot more effort than you're really looking for, and it would not be worth your time even in playtesting them. Just... Oh, avoid them. Yeah. Um, I mean, there for, are, for your bash. Yeah. I mean, there is a reason why that they don't exist in Shadow of the Beanstalk. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, having said that, w- when we're talking about special mechanics that are specific to a setting, the debt economy, so your favors and things like that, works perfectly in a fantasy setting if you wanted to drag it across. So you're not going to have a problem with that sort of thing. But I 100% agree with you, Chris, that um, the heroic abilities are something which does, it does break the game. Um, And I know where they've got the idea for those heroic abilities from, and that's actually from uh, from Descent, because each of the characters does have those special abilities that can be used once per per, um, session that once they've used those abilities, their characters flip over. Um, so, you know, there are reasons why that those exist. But, yeah, in a in a mashup setting, yeah, avoid it. I agree, 100%. Now, the one thing we haven't talked about in the, in the in this kit bash would be careers. Mm. Um, for for obvious reasons, I, I, would, I would recommend as a best practice, as the one thing you do spend time doing as a game master, to create this kit bash universe – you need to scrap the Tyranoth careers, scrap the Android careers, mm. and you need to create new careers for this particular setting. Yep. That way you can combine both skill options appropriately. Mm. Mm. Another thing to take a look at as well, just thinking out loud a little bit, um, is with regards to armor. Now, armor yeah. works differently from what I've seen. Um, in Terranoth in comparison to um, in comparison to Shadow of the Beanstalk. Because when you're looking at uh, the defense levels of some of the uh, of some of the armor that comes from Terranoth, it's huge. It's a, like got three defense rating and things like that. You don't see that. Um, you might see that uh, the items have a higher soak value in Shadows. Uh, rather than the 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 way that Terranoth handle it, 
And that's predominantly due to the type of um, uh, the, the, the material that's being used. Uh, so, you know, instead of having your, you know, big bulky armor that is going to be absorbing a lot of damage, um, and therefore they've re- decided to represent that with um, a higher defense rating, that that's not necessarily true when it comes to flak vests and, and things like that. Uh, from your shadow runs or from your shadow of the beanstalk setting. So there's things to consider that. And the other thing as well is that please don't anybody, um, take a fletcher launcher into Terranos because that would be really bad. As much fun as I could have, you know, with, with, <laughs> with going into a goblin lair with a fletcher rifle. That'd be interesting. Um, but I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> well, if you, so if he's kit bashing these concepts into his own unique, like shadow run style yeah. setting. Yeah. Um, it would totally work. But to, to Huli's point, when we, when, when my group was doing, it's messing around in this vein. One of the solutions we hit upon for the armor disparities was that in this setting, um, you had, uh, basically the Terranoth armor options, the big heavy stuff that provides this insane amount of bonus. Mm. Um, it was special. It, all those items were actually called shadow made. Right. Um, Meaning that they they basically had this magical aura about them, which is what allowed them to be so hefty. Hmm. Um, it also goes without saying uh, we didn't bring this up earlier. This goes without saying you need to really take a look at the pricing differentials yep. between gear uh, between Terranoth and uh, uh, Android Shadow of the Beanstalk, hmm. um, and and look for some parity there. I can also highly recommend another great suggestion. Uh, one of the many reasons that you need to get Scott Zumwalt's something strange setting mm-hmm. is because he introduced he, he, he in, in that setting, you deal with the concept of modern versus archaic or medieval weaponry. Mm-hmm. You know, why would you ever use a sword or a bow when you have a high powered rifle available to you? Mm-hmm. Um, Scott actually handled that quite well in his setting by introducing varied concepts around um, the ease of use and more importantly, the noticeability and noise of certain weapons. Mm. Uh, and it was a wonderful balancing factor between archaic and modern weaponry mm. that uh, is something that you should totally uh, buy that setting and pilfer if you're going to do something like this. Yep. Absolutely. Very good. Well, hopefully, Dollface Killer. I love that name. And I love the fact that he asked it on Reddit too because I've been sort of <laughs> trying to get out and pimp myself up. Uh, as much as possible to uh, to other social medias as well. So uh, so thanks for that, um, and thank you to all of our uh, people who've asked questions of us. We love uh, hearing from you, and we love to answer them um, on the show as well as as I mentioned before. If there is something which is uh, you're pressed for time and need to know now because you're in the middle of a session, um, you know we will try to get back to you as soon as we can. Um, but uh, yeah, let us know. We want to hear that. So, that mm. brings us to the end of our show, Huli. I know. But never fear, dear listeners, as there is always our next episode. Or if you want to go back and listen to some of our previous episodes, please do so. And uh, let us know how we've done on those. Uh, we'd love to get some feedback from you as well. As if you love what we do, um, give us some feedback generally. That's great. Mm-hmm. 
Very true. And as Huli said, if you guys have any questions you'd like us to answer about developing your own content for Genesis, uh, being a GM or player, or just general questions about the rules themselves, um, any requests for topics you want us to cover on the show, mm. you can, of course, send us an email uh, to forgegenesis at d20radio.com, or you can post your questions uh, via social media, including Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Reddit by simply searching for at forgegenesis. Um, any new social media spamming this week, Huli? Any uh, at all? No. <laughs> But I have had some great conversations on the D20 Radio Discord channel, uh, particularly about how I edit the podcast. Uh, Not something that you would normally ask uh, of us, but um, a lot of people have given us positive comments about uh, how we sound. Uh, So, uh, you know, more than happy to to answer those as well. Um, As I said, not really Genesis focused, but uh, I'm certainly happy to uh, field any questions about what we do uh, about the Genesis role-playing game and, of course, the Foundry itself. Um, but I don't just frequent there, as Chris alluded to. Uh, I try to stay as active as I can um, and being as engaging with uh, with fans uh, on the various pages, uh, as well as on the Genesis Community Facebook page, which is uh, where most of the conversation goes on. Scott does a great job of managing all of that process, along with uh, his team, um, and who knows, um, if you ask us any questions, uh, we might just um, ask them on the show and, and give you a response, perhaps, like we did with uh, our previous uh, questioners. <laughs> and uh, as a note on that, I was mm. having a good chat with, uh, with Scott. Um, so uh, do you mind if I call an audible real bit and talk about Gamer Nation Con? You go right ahead. So... Um, a lot of uh, of our of our of listeners may may know that the the D twenty Radio Network runs an annual convention, um, uh, which in in twenty twenty is it's coming up in twenty twenty uh, April second through the fifth of twenty twenty uh, here in the Dallas Texas area, um, and in we 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 got some exciting and interesting news. Uh, in years past, uh, we've done it for six years now. We have run a Kickstarter uh, to each year to 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 sell tickets and and really fund the con. We have reached a point uh, from the the business running of the con where we are proud to announce, and I'm announcing it here on this show for the very first time. Social media is coming mm-hmm. that we will not be doing a Kickstarter for the 2020 Gamer Nation Con Seven. Ooh, we uh- have reached a point of regular attendance. Uh, that we are now confident uh, that we will. Well, I mean, we've we've sold out the past few years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, uh, we've reached a point where honestly, we we don't really need to crowdfund this. Um, uh, towards the end of October, early uh, November, we will of course post about it and give some advance notice. Mm-hmm. Um, we will be simply opening up uh, badge sales on um, uh, the Gamer Nation web store. Um, much like the Kickstarter, people will be able to pledge for various types of badges. Uh, if they want to attend the convention three day, four day, uh, we'll of course have our classic MVG, you know, most valuable gamer levels, you know, which gets a lot of perks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But additionally, we are offering a host of specialty, uh, attendance badges this year, uh, that cost a little bit more, uh, but guarantee you some awesome benefits, most specifically a guaranteed unique game uh, with only a handful of other listeners who were able to obtain that particular badge, uh, with the host of your favorite podcast mm. on D20 Radio. 
Uh, we have several podcasts that have signed up to do this, and those hosts are going to be at the con. Of course, the Order 66 podcast. Hooli, I'm sure the Forge podcast will have some representation. Oh, at the I'm con, pretty yeah? sure it will. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the Forge podcast as well, of course. Um, uh, uh, several other shows, uh, including also um, uh, one, one of my favorites, uh, and I know yours too, Huli, mm. um, The Guardians of the Wills. Yes. Um, uh, run by Staggering Dragon will be there. They'll be doing this as well. Um, in addition to that, um, as sort of a, a, a <laughs> uh, the Don't Despair podcast, of course, uh, helmed by Scott and several others that are a key part of the uh, the 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 Genesis uh, community on Facebook mm-hmm. um, and several other medias uh, will, of course, also be on that list. Um, and, you know, as as a result, um, you know, that that uh, that Genesis uh, community face that Genesis community mm. is also going to be uh, basically semi sponsoring or affiliated with the con this year. Cool. So. Greatly, greatly looking forward to that. So if you guys want a chance to game with Scott, he's going to be there mm-hmm. um, running games and we'll have the specialty badge available as well. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, we also are going to offer one of these specialty badges to have a custom game with Studio 404, um, who we've obviously had on the show to talk about the Starcana setting. Yep. Um, not only will they be running Starcana, but we'll also be playtesting out some brand new things that they have slated for the Foundry. Mm. Indeed, I love Starcana. I know we don't mention it a lot on the on the show, but it is it is a great setting. So it really, um, is. It really, really is, and they've put so much effort and work into it. Um, the 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 artwork's great. The 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 content is amazing. You know, Phil is. I'm a big fan of Phil's work um, for what he's done with FFG, and he's put just as much effort in uh, as have uh, the rest of his team. Uh, to uh, at four hundred four studios, uh, to to put those these uh, the the setting together. It's it's amazing. I can't speak highly enough. So if you haven't given a look, please go and download it. Uh, and there is an additional adventure as well um, to uh, to get you started um, uh, along that journey of playing in that fantastic setting. So yeah. It's very, very good. But guys, we're going to be announcing a lot more about Gamer Nation Con, not only on the shows to come, uh, but also on social media, uh, the places that Huli said before. Um, obviously, the the Genesis community uh, on Facebook, um, as well as, of course, our own uh, podcast page. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled to that. Um, and Twitter, uh, as as we will, we will announce like crazy mm. uh, when ticket sales are about to go live. Um, so that you guys can have advanced warning and, and plan appropriately. Um, and of course, you know, in that vein, you guys should be sure to join the larger discussion in the D20 Radio Facebook group mm. where we nerds congregate to cross-pollinate. And uh, from a podcast standpoint, of course, don't forget to give us a like or follow us as well on any of our social media sites. Um, please also drop us a review on those sites or on your favorite podcatcher, including iTunes and even Spotify. Um, you can also, of course, uh, visit our website at forgegenesis.com. Absolutely. Uh, and so, Chris, what can listeners expect in our next episode? Uh, this is a topic I'm super keen to talk about. And that is how, oh boy, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this in one episode, Julia. It might end up being multi part. Um, it's a big topic, <laughs> it's a huge, huge topic. We are going to be diving into modifying and reskinning the magic system in Genesis. Mm. Not just expanding the existing magic rules, which we will talk about, 
but how to actually utilize the core magic mechanics and transport them and reskin them into an entirely new concept of quote unquote powers. That Can, cannot wait. Wow. I'm a little bit intimidated, but I'm ready for the challenge. <laughs> Because I've done a little bit with uh, with superheroes, as I mentioned before, and uh, yeah, so um, you know, there, there's a lot to talk about, uh, and a lot that uh, the people can get out of it. So, um, so yeah, definitely stay tuned for that. Um, yeah, really excited, can't wait for that. Uh, well, that's a wrap for us. Thank you all for listening, and we hope that uh, you will join us next time as we continue to explore the Genesis role playing game. I'm GM Hurley. May your triumphs be many, and your despairs be few. And I'm GM Chris, wishing you peace, love, and good game. Thanks again for joining us, and remember, The Forge Podcast, helping you hone your gaming edge. The Forge, a Genesis podcast, is a proud member of the D20 Radio Network. For more information about the network, visit www.d20radio.com. The Forge is a fan-generated podcast. All the information provided on the podcast, the social media, and related website is not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games or any of their licensors. The content of this podcast remains a property of The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast, and is intended for educational and informational purposes only. The Genesis role-playing game, Genesis logo, Genesis Foundry, content, and all material remain the property of Fantasy Flight Games. All products available on the Genesis Foundry website remain the property of their respective companies and individuals. For more information about The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast, visit www.forge.com. Genesis.com.